0: How's it going? And welcome to episode 143 of On the Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And Kevin Hasting is at Kevin on the Twitter. And Kevin, glad to be back once again. Uh, and last, last episode that we did together, um, you know, sprinkled in a little mock mock draft episode that uh, i did with uh, nick pollock on sunday but since that i'm like all right we're gonna clean up we're gonna catch up we're gonna get to all this news get it out of the way get it off our plate and lo and behold we have like we could do a whole nother news and notes uh, episode if we really wanted to there's enough to talk about a lot going on how you doing
1: Oh, doing great and trying to keep on on as much of this as possible. Um, you know, it seems like it's slowed down. Uh, I I really thought once Otani signed, we'd see more of a flood of moves, and we haven't. Like you said, there's been a lot of moves, but some of the bigger names, you know, Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, uh, Yamamoto, of course, and then we're we're getting conflicting reports. It it could be. After Christmas, even oh, after that was the New just Year, annoying. where his, his, his <laughs> deadline's the 4th, right? So we mm-hmm. know we're going to see Yamamoto by January 4th. Maybe that's one more piece we need to see drop before the floodgates really open on the rest of these guys. But yeah, like you said, they're, with the the second, third tier moves, there's still a lot more news. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah, and the, it'll be the first thing on our docket, but y- your Royals are making the most of them. <laughs>
1: Ah, love it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a whole bunch more in just a second. Um, and since there is so much to talk about, we brought in uh, we brought in a special guest. This is Joining us today is our co-overall, and it is weird to have to say co-overall, but we'll get to that in a little bit as well, champion of our 2023 Listener Leagues. That is Adam Lazarus. Adam, thanks for joining us, man. It's been a long well, time. I- We've been trying to get you on all offseason and finally got you on here.
2: Now, like I told you guys early. Thanks for having me on, and for the having the listener leagues. I mean, I think that's great. I appreciate it. Um, it certainly gives me a, a great opportunity to learn how to structure teams and, and things like that. And I appreciate the opportunity you guys put out.
0: Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. You've already jumped in uh, two of our listener leagues this this season as well. Uh, both our twelve teamers, right? Have you yep. you have, you haven't done the fifteen teamer yet though? No. That no. changes the whole landscape of all. Oh, you know, it does <laughs> <laughs> changes everything. Uh, Kevin, you're still sitting in the lobby waiting to fill that second fifteen teamer uh, as we as we get closer and closer to Christmas. Um, it will, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be Christmas Eve. Hopefully, we are starting to draft that. I told Kevin off air that you know if if we get to fourteen and we need the fifteenth, I will uh, I will put my pride aside and I will jump in that that one. But um, it's tough filling all these fab leagues early uh, because people aren't used to doing these drafts these kind of drafts before new year's um it happens when was but usually we see everything on twitter is filled with DC draft boards now of course the gladiator draft boards are more popular um some best balls in there as well um, but i'm I've said it a bunch of times and I'll say it again. Like I'm a big proponent now of drafting your fab leagues early and then holding on, holding off on your draft and hold until you have more information. Um, and you can make a little bit more informed decisions on 50 rounds worth of players. Uh, Kevin, I don't know how you're feeling about that kind of switch in mentality.
1: No, I agree. Um, Yeah, because you can fix your mistakes. Uh, uh, And there will be mistakes. (laughs) Hopefully you can fix your mistakes prior to the season beginning, but you can at least... not take zeros in spots. You can definitely fix them to that extent. So I, I, I agree. the The Fab leagues earlier. You know, a lot of people talk about those that do draft early enjoy getting values on players that they're on. Not everybody else is mm-hmm. yet, and then that changes as we get closer to opening day of the regular season. Uh, but if if it doesn't work out, if there are injuries, if there there are you know, roster changes, you can adjust prior to the season even starting. NFBC does that first fab run the weekend before the season starts. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing.
0: Yeah, you have players who retire or they go overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, I may or may not have drafted Trevor May in the first October league, um, just like a day before he announced his retirement. We'll see. We'll find out on the first fab period if that's a true statement or not, because <laughs> he will be dropped if it is true. Um, but you, like you said, yeah, you can make you can fix those mistakes. Um, all right. Like I said at the, at the start of the show, we have a ton to talk about in news. And then we do want to talk about um, some uh, results from our first two 12 team listener leagues that the second one just finished up. Uh Adam has done both of those. I've done both of those. Kevin, you were in the first one. So it's nice you'll be able to see some data from a draft you didn't actually compete in. Um, but before we do that, let's get to a lot of this news. And Kevin, of course, we're going to do our what is probably going to become our weekly Royal Roundup here. A uh, whole bunch of moves by Kansas City. I'm list them off. I want to get your take on all of them. Uh, first and foremost, they add to their rotation with Michael Waka signing a two-year deal with the Royals. Um, They do a bunch of stuff in their outfield, namely signing Hunter Renfro to what is ultimately a one-year deal with a player option. Um, What I don't get about this, I'm just going to jump to this, is the difference between calling it a player option and an opt-out clause. I'm pretty sure they're exactly the same thing, just a weird terminology, especially for a one-year thing. It's a player option. I'm calling it a player option. I don't care what any of the tweets say. It's a player option um, for 2025. Uh, but then on top of that, they add to their outfield with Renfro, but then they got rid of Edward Olivares, and they didn't just send him to Omaha this time. Um, they sent him to Pittsburgh, uh, and so they traded Edward it's Olivares large. to the Pirates. Uh-huh. We'll see how the Pirates handle him. He is out of options, so that transfers over with the Pirates. The Pirates can't send him to Indianapolis. Um, on top of that, a smaller move, Kansas City, they traded T- uh, Taylor Clark reliever, to milwaukee for cam devaney and reliever ryan brady i um, not sure if there's anything there kevin but overall uh start where you want but like what are your royals doing right now
1: well I'm, I'm gonna start with taylor clark uh simply because yes he's he has shown flashes he's also been bad at times this was a move to clear uh Forty-man roster spot for Hunter Renfro, mm-hmm. so we can get that one out of the way. Uh, getting a couple of players back in return is awesome. I don't think the the previous Royals uh, front office may have pulled that off, and you know, you you never know with some of these guys. It's worth taking a shot on on a couple of uh, minor leaguers that may end up panning out in the future. Uh, In in future years, I think Kansas City would have just uh, DFA'd Taylor Clark. So it's nice. They get something back, and it it may or may not amount to anything. But that's what that move was about. Michael Walker, much like Seth Lugo, I think he is someone that can perform very well uh, in Kauffman Stadium. You know, um, we've seen it with Vargas in the past. That's been a few years ago now, but Nick Pollock brings it up all, all the time. You know, Kauffman Stadium's a a great place for pitchers to pitch, uh, especially if they have had home run issues. It's the, the ballpark plays up for runs, but it plays down for home runs. So if, if home run issues have been a thing for you, it can really help. And, you know, the, the thing with me is there's been a, a, a lot of Royals fans, and I know you should never read the comments, but Royals fans <laughs> the they're so pessimistic about these deals. However, fans uh, fan bases of other teams have been with both the Seth Lugo and the Michael Walk signings, uh why did we not outbid the Royals on this player? So that that's encouraging and, and i like this hunter renfro i have a huge hunter renfro fan, and his 2023 was not good um i i think he bounces back i really do i think he he's been an uh, above average outfielder uh for quite some time now ever since he was with boston that was is that three seasons ago now adam when he yeah, was that's uh, 2021.
0: Boston. He was with Boston yeah. for all of 2021. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I remember all season long writing my Fab article every week and looking at the roster yep. ship and Hunter <laughs> Renfro. Just nobody bought into what he was doing, and he just kept doing it, and he did it for about three seasons. 2023, not so much. I I, I like the bounce back here. I think Edward Olivares becomes more of an option in fantasy now that he's in Pittsburgh he's probably playing nearly every day more than the the uh a platoon player maybe not every every day but more than a platoon player and so I think I'm more interested in Edward Olivares now as well but as a Royals fan like I um uh, <laughs> I tweeted Joe Orico, uh, our, our friend of the show, friend of mine, he's uh sports ethos, uh, and he does uh daily podcast, uh fantasy MLB today, and he has been ragging on these moves by the Royals. They're not that great, these players aren't that great, and I'm like, Joe, we're the Royals, man. This is We don't have to be that great. <laughs> Five seasons, right? Uh, a rumor that Shohei or Tani is on a plane to Kansas City will never fly. Like this is something <laughs> for us to get excited about. So stop stop ragging on my uh 2024 AL Championship Royals, uh AL Central go. champions uh so much here in the offseason. <laughs> well,
0: if nothing else, uh I'm just holding on to the fact that hunter Renfro just keeps growing and growing his value in Immaculate Grid um if if nowhere
1: else <laughs> this will I, be it, it's it's also interesting it appears he's wearing number uh, Sixteen, at least he did that in his video that's been making the rounds when he was on MLB Network uh, a day or two ago, and th- that's Bo Jackson and and Billy Butler, two Ooh. two big time Royals Ooh. players. So he's guy he's got to he's got to perform. Right?
0: That's some big f- shoes. I know. I'm like, why you put yourself in those shoes? Oh, man. All right. Well, we'll see if he lasts more than a season because he hasn't lasted more than a season since his first team with the Padres. Um, Since 2019, he's played for seven different teams. Uh, All right. So that's a lot going on in Kansas City. Let's move over to the World Series champions, the Texas Rangers, Adam. Uh, we got a couple of, well, injuries. Um, one, they signed an injured pitcher, an already injured pitcher with Tyler Molly to a two-year deal uh, who, of course, went through Tommy John surgery last May. Um, he would be probably expected to return by the end of the season um, if, if all things go well. And But they will be also getting back around that time Max Serger, who underwent his own surgery to repair a herniated disc in his back. He's expected to be out until at least the All Star break, uh, recovering from that. Um, are we? I mean, are we more interested in the fact that we're we might see some different faces in the first half of the year in the rotation for Texas that you might be eyeing in these drafts to take advantage of the extra extra time on the mound, um, or? Are we looking to actually stash either one of these guys um, thinking that they're going to come back with any kind of value?
2: I think Tyler Malley interests me. At this point, Max Scherzer is not somebody I would I would look at because I just feel like he's in a situation where he's continuously breaking down. Mm -hmm. Um, The Rangers, the one thing that I would say coming off their World Series win is they're a little light in the starting pitching staff. There are still some question marks whether they can sign back Jeff Montgomery. That would help. Um, that would be one of the keys. But, it, but as far as from a standpoint of uh, fantasy, who would I target? I think Tyler Malley would be one of those players on, in a draft and hold leagues where you go in 50 rounds, where you target for the back half of this, uh, of this after the All-Star break. He'd be somebody I'd be interested in. But as far as Max Scherzer is concerned – He's just breaking down too much to put any type of commitment on. Both from a even if from a standpoint of fantasy or just from a franchise standpoint, that's gonna be that's gonna look like a bad deal for that franchise, even though they won a World Series.
0: I mean, that I was just gonna say, like, they won the World Series. There's no deal that looks bad, like fully bad. It's like yeah. the ring, you'll always wear the ring, the pennants fly forever, all those, all those cliches. But yeah, as far as like giving up Luis In- 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 Acuna um, and everybody else that they might have given up for that, you know, basically two months of Max Serger, who actually spent some time uh, injured at the end of the year before the playoffs as well. The deal um, that's
2: going to look bad for them is the Chapman deal. Well,
0: because yeah, Cole that Higgins, already looks bad.
2: Yeah, because Cole <laughs> would change a lot. In, in on the front of that rotation,
0: that was yeah, you, he's you know, the he's Royals, in Kansas City right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, for the most part, one of the things that like the Royals have struggled with as a franchise is the selection of young pitchers in the draft. Okay, you have Brady Singer, they exposed Asa Lacy in the uh, Rule Five draft, um, and now you they they actually struck gold provided he could stay healthy. Um, and you know, the Rangers, they were going for broke. Um, I mean, I have to believe they knew what they were doing, but Cole Hagen's at the second half of the last year was about as dominating of a left-hand pitcher those as, as there was in baseball.
0: I know it's like they went off and said, Hey, we need a hard throwing left-handed reliever for our playoff push. And they went off and got Chapman, but they traded away a left-handed much better pitcher <laughs> in the process. Um, All right. Well, let's see. I'm just, uh, I mean, I see Max Scherzer and I want to be like, oh, look at that. The Mets are making, oh, that's right. No, the Mets still aren't making moves, but we'll get to one of those a little bit later. Uh, Kevin, our boy, Matt Carpenter on the move. Um, He gets the Max Stassi treatment. He gets the Marco Gonzalez treatment getting traded to Atlanta. Um, He was expected to be traded. Atlanta actually announced, yes, we plan on trading him again um and apparently they couldn't find a buyer so they just outright cut him uh so he has been cut he is a free agent can matt carpenter actually latch on anywhere this offseason and repeat the magic we signed we saw when he signed with new york where we thought you know he was actually gonna you know hit 40 home runs in 40 days
1: Uh, it was looking like it you know he had a 727 slugging in 2022 that is insane, and, and, and how many I, games? It was like
0: it ended up only being like twenty games. For <laughs> forty-seven games,
1: Sorry, yeah. so small sample, but not so small that you should be able to spike a seven-twenty over a month. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right, we're we're not going to see that again. We're we, obviously we're not going to see anything close to it. And I I think it's possible that he could latch on somewhere. But he's 38 years old. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be fantasy relevant other than in an only league wherever he ends up signing. uh, Unless it's somewhere that's going to put him in the lineup as a full-time designated hitter. But I really don't even know if that exists. Uh, so unfortunately no to answer your question, but it's still fun to talk about Matt Carpenter.
0: Yeah, always, always. Um, all right. Uh, Adam, we got, uh, a returnee, I guess, to an extent, Lawrence girl, jr. He signs a four year, ultimately a, an extension with Arizona. Um, as he spends, he spent last year with him and after being traded from Toronto, um, in the Gabriel Moreno trade and and what have you, um, he did pretty well for himself overall with his new team down in the Southwest. Uh, Twenty four home runs, you know, two sixty one average. A little bit down from what we've seen him in Toronto, uh, but still put up some decent counting stats. Uh, overall, seemed pretty comfortable. Obviously, by the way of this contract, he's pretty comfortable with in Arizona, in in that outfield. Um, are you are you seeing good things in the fact that he? Liked where he was. He's going to sign four more years, and they're going to they're going to are going to put him to work.
2: When when I first saw Lourdes Goria like pop up, like you know, one of the things when we were doing the first couple of fantasy drafts, the first thing that came to mind when I was going through it around the fifth to sixth round is I said, "Man, the outfield is the depth of players in the outfield is awful." So <laughs> and I and, and, and I said, what, "What mistake did I make here?" And my drafting, because I think that's one of the things that's good about drafting early, is because now you're getting educated mm-hmm. on ADP, where players are going. Lourdes Guriel is a type of player that at the end of the year, when you start matching up rosters of fantasy owners that have won championships, he's on the team. He goes late in the draft. I just pulled up the fantasy pros rankings because I knew you guys were going to talk about it. Gurriel is, is in this bunch and tell me who – and it's an interesting bunch, actually. Riley Green, Steven Kwan, Chaz McCormick, Kerry Carpenter, then Gurriel. I mean, I could go to sleep knowing that Gurriel is going to hit 25 home runs, drive in 90, and maybe have about 8 to 12 stolen bases.
0: I mean I think the worry I have with Guriel in this in where he is now, where he's gonna be for the next four years is where is he gonna end up in that lineup on a regular basis? Um it I mean, roster resources has got him in the seventh spot right now. So if he's in the bottom third of that order, um I I'm not I'm gonna have a hard time believing he's gonna drive in ninety. Now, if he can inch his way up even to the sixth or the five spot, even somewhat regularly, yeah, I'll I'll jump on board that with that for sure. Um, but of that group you just told me, He's in my opinion the most well-rounded player of that group that you just that you just threw out there um in that little tier. Um he's just not the one that I want to be stuck with as my outfield one. And and oh. to your to your what you're talking about um if you all of a sudden you just forget that the depth of outfield is is not as deep as you would like it to be. And we've talked about this last year too. Last year felt the same way, Kevin. I don't, I don't know if you remember or not or if you, feel the same way, but I did. Um I don't want to be stuck holding the bag and be like, all of a sudden, oh no, Loris Guriel Jr. is my first outfielder. And now, you know, the question marks revolve around who my two, three, four, and five are in a five outfield league.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um And the, the funny thing is, his, his ADP hasn't really moved since his mm-hmm. signing. I think some of it is... he you know he's not one of the big names some of it is people probably expected him to go back to Arizona so that's as as he was being drafted and yeah like like Adam said in this range uh you know Starling Marte injury concerns Jack Sawinski huge streaks of, of good and bad um you know, Whit Merrifield, Gavin Lux has outfield eligibility, Luis Rengifo. When we start looking at the names going around him in drafts, he's the safest. Oh, sure. And that seems weird talking about it at that point <laughs> in a draft. At that point in a draft, uh, lots of times we're looking for upside. But with the the depth of outfield not really being there for for leagues where you start five outfielders you know in in 10 and 12 team uh points or head to head leagues on Yahoo and ESPN and, and and those are the most popular leagues out there uh Lords Guriel probably isn't that appealing but in five outfielder roto leagues Lords Guriel at this point in a draft looks like a bargain to me
0: Sure. Um, yeah, I will say, I correct myself. It's not a four year deal. It's a three year deal. He does have an opt out after the second year and there is a team option for that fourth year. So it could end up being a four year deal, but at, you know, three years, 42 million, he's also going to play. I mean, this was a question we had about the Arizona outfield going into last season, the depth, the, the guys that are coming up, obviously Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas and all that, and Jake McCarthy, um, and others, uh, I, I think that this kind of a contract guarantees him at the very least, you know, six out of seven day work weeks um, on a full, on a full slate. So
1: yeah. Cause he got a lot of DH time last season because Cattell Marte was healthy. And if, if, and Marte seems to be healthy now, and that that's probably going to be the case this season as well. Okay.
0: Um, all right. Let's get back to the pitching side. Kevin, we got a one year deal uh, added to the Detroit rotation. D- Detroit is just, Stacking up that rotation, and well, I don't know stacking is the right word here, but at least they are bringing in veterans or you know experienced pitchers to kind of take the place of some of these young guys that we are, you know, some of us might be excited about, some of us just might be interested in. Um, instead, we got Kent Maeda signing with them uh, somewhat recently. Now they add Jack Flaherty to a one-year. Probably like a one year prove it deal type of thing that he wanted to take so that he could go somewhere, play an entire season or maybe half a season if they Detroit ends up trading him at the deadline, um, to kind of show, hey, I'm worth it, I can get that long term deal, yada yada yada. But while he's in Detroit on this fourteen million dollar deal, which, you know, obviously you're gonna be putting him in this rotation and he's gonna be going out there every fifth or sixth day, uh, are you having any interest in that ballpark with you know, with that team around him and in the situation that he finds himself in.
1: Well, Flaherty was signed just before the Royals signed Michael Walker and the Royals had been rumored on being in on Jack Flaherty. And when I saw the tweet, Jack Flaherty has signed, I was please. No, please. No, please. (laughs) No, I have zero interest in Jack Flaherty. I mean, he, 2021 he was okay but he way overperformed his underlying metrics uh he's he's got this reputation based on 2019 and deservedly so he was amazing in 2019 and in 2019 we were talking all about hitters and he had 196 innings of a 275 era when everybody was sending the ball sailing out of ballparks however he hasn't been good since, and I, I had zero interest in the Royals obtaining him. I have zero interest on my fantasy teams. I, I mean, I I will not draft him. I, we we say there's a price on everybody. There's not a price <laughs> on Jack Flaherty for me. I'd rather have Brian Abreu, uh, uh, Matt Brash. I'd rather have a reliever in my lineup than than Jack Flaherty. So I didn't pay much attention. Once I was ecstatic that it was not the Royals that signed (laughs) him.
0: Fair enough. All right, guys, uh, we have uh, a few more things I need to touch on as far as news goes, but we got to do our quick break real quick. All right, we are back. Uh, We're going to get right back into it, Adam. We got some news out of LA. Of course, all the big news comes out of LA. Nowadays, uh, they make a pretty big trade with the Tampa Bay Rays acquiring Tyler Glass now in a very rare in baseball. Basically, it was a sign in trade. Uh, you don't really see a whole lot of this in baseball, but they they made the trade with the caveat that they would be able to negotiate a extension with the starter um and if he if they weren't able to come to an agreement then the trade would fall through they did he signs a five-year contract extension with the dodgers that'll keep glass now on the west coast for quite some time along with glass now the dodgers get manny margot headed to their outfield um in tampa bay in return gets a pitcher and an outfielder of their own outfielder johnny deluca and then ryan pepio start, uh, added to presumably added to the Tampa Bay rotation. So, um, you start on either end of this that you like, but, um, you know, what's your overall take on these guys, especially, uh, the pitchers in their new environments.
2: Glass now as a pitcher. Now let's, let's think that there's no such thing as the word injury Injury (laughs) injuries, injuries off.
0: Yeah. We'll turn injuries off.
2: off. He's a top 15 (laughs) pitcher. He has huge strikeout numbers. He's going to a team like the Dodgers that has been. I, I trust the Dodgers. You know when the Dodgers make moves. You know when Andrew Friedman and his staff make moves. I look at it. Mm-hmm. That goes back to like what I think when with certain general managers, where I look at the moves that they make. Now the Dodgers, from a pitching standpoint, are they're still a little light. You know they have they have a lot riding on Bobby Miller. Okay, because he's got to come through for them. They've cut. They've had some issues. You know, listen, they lost Julio Urias. He's not going to be back there. Bad signing with Trevor Bauer. So now you have a situation with Glass now, who could be a dominating force. Hey, listen, the Dodgers didn't have great pitching last year, Adam, and what they do, they had one of the best records, if not the best records in baseball. So I still think that they're in on Corbin Burns. They have enough kids on the farm that can help the Brewers get back to respectability quicker. And I think he's the next pitcher on the trading block that somebody will be looking to acquire. I don't know if it's either him, Dylan Cease. The Dodgers aren't done. They need to add one more pitcher to that rotation. But Glass now is one of those guys somewhere between the fourth and sixth round in fantasy that you have to take a look at.
0: Sure. I mean, the Dodgers have a lot of options, so there's still plenty of – Honestly, the potential aces on the free market. Never, you know. Obviously, uh, you have Cy Young, a winner, Blake Snell. They still have Imanaga and Yamamoto coming over from Japan that are that haven't been signed yet. Um, I I think that you know Corbin Burns, Dylan Cease is also a trade option that you know has been rumored about throughout the offseason. Um, I think that if I'm the Dodgers, more than likely I'm spending the money that I you know can. That I have the luxury of spending on the talent that just happens to be freely out there, um, rather than giving up, you know, going out and giving up the the stock capital that I have in my farm system, which honestly isn't as strong as it once was, especially on the pitching side. They're going to want to hold on to every one of those guys so that they have the ability to apply dodgeritis to the players that they have to, um, you know, be able to control those innings. About,
2: the one thing I would say, Adam, about the Dodgers. You just hit it on the head. The Dodgers have been known for years for having a great farm system. Mm -hmm. But because of last year, they had to expose a lot of young players like Michael Bush and who were dominating in the minor leagues. And when they came up to the major leagues, they didn't perform. And I I remember when I was growing up in New York, New York had these great Mets young players that were being publicized. Do you remember those days? Billy Pulsifer... Paul Wilson. These were guys that were supposed to be superstars Mm -hmm. and it just never happens. And in the Dodgers case, they exposed some of their younger players last year. And I think their value got squashed a little bit. So I think that's one of the things that I look at with like, what do they have available to go after players with? Because that farm system did get exposed.
0: Yeah, And what they have is money. So that, I mean, that's, that's that's
2: people people to take these contracts. And a great TV deal.
0: Mm. That's true. That's a, that's a good point. Like you can you can purchase contracts, existing contracts with not so great uh, talent from your farm system if you're just willing to take on the contracts. It's
2: like what the Mets did last year.
0: Yeah, I mean it's what Atlanta's been doing. Um, except they're finding other <laughs> buyers on some. On most of these players yeah. didn't happen with Carpenter. Um, on the other side, though, I mean, you talk about teams that you trust with with pitching or making moves in general. With the Dodgers, I mean, Tampa Bay is on that short list, especially when it comes to 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 pitchers. Um it's like Tampa Bay makes a move and you, you just assume that the other team made the wrong move at, at this point. So Ryan Pepio uh are you excited about the fact that you know obviously Tampa was targeting him um, or at least they were able to you know make this trade with Pepio being part of that deal.
2: Let me rewind the tape back to you guys and ask you both what you thought of this. When the when the Rays signed Zach Eflin last year for a lot of money, what was your initial thought? What type of pitcher did you think Zach Eflin was before last year?
0: I mean, bef- I knew what kind of pitcher he was before last year in Philadelphia, and it wasn't anything special. Yeah. But, when, but when Tampa Bay makes that move, and they get, not even the, the move that Tampa Bay made, you knew from the amount of money that a t- club like Tampa Bay was willing to give its individual player, like they got, they gave in years in the contract length. I was fairly confident that Eflin, and I think Kevin, you and I talked about this. Like we are confident that Eflin was going to be m- more of a workhorse than he had ever been before, and Tampa Bay was going to allow him to run with it, and he did. Obviously, that's obviously it's easy to say in hindsight, uh, but yeah, that's I mean that's how I felt about it.
2: That's how I feel about Ryan Pepiway. Anyway. Like if you were doing a, a you know a draft Champions League and stuff like that, and you're into that 25th, 30th round, if you can get him, he's one of those guys you gobble up. Because the Rays like them.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And there's um, the advantage, right? There's a handful of teams we feel this way about in developing pitching. And not just developing pitching, but then in enhancing the the, the pitching that they do have once they are at the big league level. The Dodgers are one of them. And now the Tampa, a second one. That's just more information pepio is going to get right he's going to have have had the advantage of getting the development of the dodger system and then the 40 some innings at the major league level with them and now go to tampa and see what they have to say as well not many pitchers have had that opportunity
0: yeah um not arbitration eligible until 2026 free agent not until 2029. So he will be with Tampa for quite a while. Um, you know, I do worry. The only I mean, thing with Tampa I worry about is how many innings are they going to provide him with? How, like what kind of um, implementation are they going to have on holding him back, especially in these first two pre arbitration years that he, he's with the club? Um, he he only had I mean, last year, Due to, you know, various reasons, you know, 64 and two thirds innings um, before that in 2022, he did hit up to around 145 uh, innings on the on the season. So he can he's st- he's stretched out. He can do that as long as he can stay healthy and they give him a rotation spot throughout the course of the season. Um, you know, I just wonder how you know what what's going to end up happening as far as the way that tampa bay has had a track record with younger pitchers not as established pitchers um in how many innings that they are willing to you know throw out there and in any given start so i i guess i'm worried about the wins is really when i really when it, when i get down to it because kevin you gotta worry about the wins
1: <laughs> yes
0: all right all right um Let's go. Kevin, we got a couple of relievers signed. One of them early in the week and one just like uh, I saw the notes come through today. Uh both on the West Coast here. Oakland, they they filled their Trevor quota by signing Trevor Got uh to a a, a one-year deal and their uh as Trevor May leaves, so they have to get another Trevor obviously. And then San Diego who is presumably losing uh uh Josh Hader, not going to bring him back more than likely, more so for monetary reasons, less so for you know talent reasons. But they bring in Yuki Matsui. He signs a four-year deal with the Padres. Of these two, who's most likely to get regular saves as neither team really has a set closer?
1: Oh, it's Matsui. Uh, it's Matsui by a lot, I believe. I, I, this is why they signed him. San Diego in my opinion they signed him to be the closer that's pretty rare for somebody uh, whether it be a a young player or a player coming from overseas it's not something we see often but I am interpreting this as they signed Matt Sui to be the closer right now on their roster resource page their bullpen had two saves last season now we know that's because Josh Hader's gone but Also, it's not like there's somebody there with experience with the, and you always bring up the arbitration, Adam. He signed a four year deal. There is no arbitration. So that's not going to be a factor. So I I think it's Matsui by a lot. Trevor Gott might have been of some interest until we got the news that Mason Miller is is probably going to relieve. And if he's going to be a reliever, I think he's most definitely their closer. Also, how many games are the Oakland A's going to win? So, yeah, this is... It's it's Matsui, pretty easy for me. I, I think he's going to skyrocket up draft boards because I think most fantasy players are going to agree that he probably is the guy in San Diego.
0: I mean, Matsui has the closing experience um, from his time in Japan. I think he had 30 saves last year um, for, for his club over there. I'm just assuming that Oakland is not paying attention and their management is just going to be like, oh, it's the ninth inning, put Trevor out there. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm running with. So I won't be surprised. (laughs) Nothing will surprise me except for wherever they end up playing baseball. So we still don't know that for sure. Um, I believe that they actually don't have a contract.
1: That's something to keep in mind in in keeper and dynasty leagues, because if they do end up playing their games in Las Vegas, triple a ballpark for a year or two, uh, (laughs) <laughs> the, the home runs are going to be amazing oh, for guys we, we don't see home runs from. We, so that's something to keep in mind. If you're in keeper and dynasty leagues, you might sure. want to actually start stashing some Oakland athletics. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Remember, I mean, when the Blue Jays were ended up playing in Dunedin and Buffalo. uh Well, right. you know, they couldn't play in Toronto. uh We talked about that a lot. And it, you know, obviously played a factor, but no playing in a minor league park in Las Vegas. In the yeah. PC, uh, basically in the PC. Let's just put everybody back in the PCL. No, 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 no. That'll be in yeah, I don't even know what that'll be. Um, all right. Uh some moves from Milwaukee, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna lump these two together and get both your takes on this part. Uh the Milwaukee Brewers are making deals not for Corbin Burns here yet. Um instead they are actually trading four players. Um they're signing Eric Haas to a one-year deal. I think he was interesting that they announced him as a catcher, straight catcher. Um, I'm curious to know what kind of uh, role he ends up with in uh, with the Brewers. Uh, But then they trade away, not again, not Corbin Burns. They trade away Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor uh, to the New York Mets. New York Mets finally making a move here. Um, Adam, we'll start with you here. Uh, What kind of a I mean, with Tyrone Taylor obviously leaving, there you know there's some spot open up in the in the rotation or in the, even in the outfield. But do you see Eric Haas being able to ignite anything back when we saw him, uh, you know, become fantasy relevant for a decent amount of time, basically a full season as he gained catcher eligibility?
2: I just see him as a backup to William Contreras. I don't, I don't see, you know, obviously the other missing piece is David Stearns, the new Mets general manager, knows. These guys with Milwaukee, who he picked up in that trade, but in the, in, in regards to you know with Haas, I, I just see limit. I, I don't see any. I don't see any upside. I see mm-hmm. a good clubhouse guy, that type of thing to to fill out a roster. You know that 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 that's that's what I see. I don't see anything that's that made me stop and say, "Hey, look what they're doing over here." I think Milwaukee's in a situation where. They're going to try to do as much as they can to rebuild their farm system. They have Jackson Churios coming up very soon, if not right out of spring training. So I think that's what they're looking at. I think there's they have an interesting manager that spent time at Notre Dame, then spent time as their bench manager for Craig Council. So they're an interesting team for the future, but I don't see anything with that move. Nothing fantasy relevant.
0: Uh, Kevin, I mean, I, I mean, I heard all the rumors that Milwaukee was basically willing to trade anything not nailed down. Um, Is this the start of that, the, the the way you're looking at it? Are you expecting more moves to kind of trickle in? Um, And then what's your thoughts on Hauser and Taylor being in New York, especially as Adam pointed out with the familiarity uh, that Stearns has with those players?
1: Yeah. Uh- I'm going to start with the Mets. I I think they need both these guys. So I think we're going to get the innings from Hauser and uh, the at-bats from Tyrone Taylor. And roster resource has him hitting ninth, but even hitting ninth, you're going to get 550 plate appearances if he plays every day, which as the roster stands now, Tyrone Taylor will play every day. And that makes him a... 2020 threat. I know the stolen bases didn't really come along until 2023, but there's a reason for that. So, you know, he only had 240 some plate appearances, 10 home runs, nine stolen bases, and yes, I do believe in the the stolen bases that he had not done in the past with the new rules. So, we're we're looking at a a possible 2020 guy here all of a sudden uh, from Tyler, Tyrone Taylor, Adrian Hauser, I think goes in, into the rotation Uh there. The Mets don't have a whole lot there. So I, I like the move for, for both of those guys. Um And, and when it Milwaukee, yeah, I, I think there's still more moves coming. I, I still think I know I know the the talk in the last couple of days is now they're talking Corbin Burns extension. I just don't see it. I, he was so upset. That over bridge. The, the that bridge is. is yeah. yeah it's- <laughs> I, I, so maybe they extend him to make him more valuable in a trade.
0: <laughs> but That's a true uh, sign and trade. Sure. right
1: but other than that yeah i think this is just the beginning i i do think that uh we're going to see more of these guys leave milwaukee i don't think it'll be a full-blown dump everybody uh as 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 a royals fan i i know better than anybody with the new draft rules the the tanking for draft picks doesn't work any longer Mm -hmm. right in 2022 the royals had the third worst record in baseball and they picked eighth in the draft. In 2023, they had the second worst record in baseball and they picked sixth in the draft due to this new draft lottery. So it's not a guarantee. Tanking isn't what it was when the Astros did it, the Cubs did it, the Royals did it back to get their 2015 World Series championship. So uh, that I don't think we're going to see teams completely dump everybody unless they're Oakland any longer. Well, even Oakland, Uh, like I was
0: so happy to see Oakland not get a top pick in this draft um, for the exact reasons you talked about Cleveland, right? More, more power to you. (laughs) Happy to have you at the top of the draft.
1: Yeah. The Royals had the second worst record in baseball and two teams in their division are picking ahead of them in the draft. So (laughs) it's that this is, I, I, I I'm, I'm not complaining about it. I think it could be good for baseball, uh, I, do, I, I think that has a lot to do with the moves the Royals have made. They're they're not anything huge, but they're a whole lot more than we've seen in recent years from the Royals. And I, I, I think maybe this is, gosh, man, I, I've had to say this quite a bit over the past few months. <laughs> Unfortunately, I got, got to give Rob Manfred some props here.
0: Oh, you do not have to keep saying that. Um, <laughs> you are under no obligation to repeat that <laughs> statement. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as Milwaukee goes, you know, you, you know me. i was just crossing my fingers that this gives a little bit more of an avenue for Aaron Ashby to, you know, fight his way into back into the rotation through spring training. I mean, he's now he's fighting, fighting uh, Colin Ray and Joe Ross as their four or five. Um, so
1: just I saying. used to love Joe Ross. And yeah. He just never <laughs> stayed healthy.
0: <laughs> all right, guys, that's all the news that was fit to print. So we are going to move on here. Uh, talk to Adam a little bit about how he won our 2023 Listener League overall championship. Got the you shower as NFBC uh, denotes. Um, we're going to talk about that and much more right after this. All right, we are back. Of course, you were still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined as always by Kevin Hastings, and today we are speaking with Adam Lazarus. Adam is our co-champion um, of our 2023. All, all of those were 12-teamers, so it was in t- all the leagues. I think we had 10 last year, Kevin, um, of our listener leagues based on the NFBC. We are filling them as we speak uh, throughout the course of the 2023 2024 offseason, going into the 2024 season. So, if you're interested in joining one of them with us, please shoot us a DM on Twitter. Uh, join the PL Discord and find us out there as well. Uh, you can do that by joining PL Plus. Got to give that plug out there as well. Um, but we hopefully, Kevin, we can get this 15 teamer that you're that you're sitting in uh, drafting by Christmas. We said that Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, the 15s are a little bit harder to fill than the 12s, obviously. Um, but, you know, get in there, guys. Get in there. It's only 50 bucks. Super easy. Super, uh, super approachable. Um, and get your fab, uh, get your fab practice in before the new year as you uh, start practicing for your other 15 team fab leagues um, in March, like the main event and stuff like that. But, Adam, let's hear a little bit of more about yourself uh we talked a little bit uh um you know before start recording but let everybody know a little bit more about yourself your history playing fantasy baseball uh how you got into it all you know all that standard bio stuff that everybody you know wants to know if somebody wins a championship an overall championship they want to know if they kind of back their way into it <laughs> or if you've been doing it or if you're a ringer and that's basically the only two options that there are right yeah.
2: <laughs> All right so I played a lot of fantasy baseball growing up. Okay, um, I I graduated. I, I played college baseball all the way through. I was nice. lucky enough during a baseball scholarship to a small Division One school that people used to not know of the name until they beat Michigan in football, but Appalachian <laughs> State. So I pitched, <laughs> nice. played all four years. I graduated the whole bit. Um, but after I started getting a little bit older, the interest level in fantasy went away and it migrated to something else. And what happened was my family moved to South Florida and I found myself at a racetrack for a thoroughbred <laughs> race for thoroughbred racehorses. Well, during that time, I also worked in the technology industry for Xerox selling office equipment. So to make a long story short, I struggled a lot in horse racing from a standpoint. I went from being somebody that was handicapping and betting to becoming a horse owner. Okay. OK. And what happened was it's a little unique. Some of you, everybody likes to ask me, Adam, what's what was your interest? Why were you interested in thoroughbred racing? And I drew the comparison with thoroughbred racing to fantasy baseball. And my love affair was statistics. So okay. what happened sure. was I drew the parallel and found myself loving the game of horse racing. So I used my acumen of selling and business uh, to create a small business for myself called Pinnacle Racing Stable. It's a horse racing partnership in South Florida where people can buy 2%, 3%, 5% of a horse. It started off with me hanging out flyers at the racetrack, putting ads in the daily racing Form, that type of thing. And then I really, really struggled for about, I guess it was, a, it was 10 horses that I had purchased that did absolutely nothing on the racetrack. And I had one more shot that I wanted to give it before I, I basically put a pause or quit. On that 11th try, we purchased a horse for $20,000 called Musical Romance. The filly ended up winning what we call the Super Bowl of horse racing, which is called the Breeders' Cup. Mm -hmm. She was a filly, so she could be sold as a broodmare. Um, The filly ended up winning $1.6 million, and I sold her for $1.6 million. And that was my jump into, into thoroughbred racing. Where I got more involved in the fantasy end of things was right on the front end of COVID. Okay, I had a lot of time on my hands, and I started saying, "What about happened with fantasy baseball? Let me go to Barnes & Noble. Let me pick up the fantasy baseball magazines. Let me start up. Now, during this time, I've always followed baseball, but I did not. I mean, my love affair with baseball goes back to being a guy that subscribed to Baseball America, knowing all these younger players and everything like that, and it just grew. Now my fantasy situation now is it's gotten it's it's at a very high point. I play every sport to tell you how addicted I am to fantasy. I play fantasy NASCAR. That's crazy.
0: But I I, I dabbled. I did a year of fantasy NHL hockey, um, like like 15 years ago, and I couldn't bring myself to renew the league. Unfortunately, sorry
1: hockey
2: fans. Now. There is so much information that's out there with fantasy baseball and good information. You have projections. You have guys that specialize in dynasty. You can know about the younger players. I mean, it's become a hobby that is so addicting. And you want to know something that's really nice to win, but I love having something to look forward to. When I wake up before I go to work and I scroll through all the box scores, I love it. I mean, I'm very passionate about it. And then I like going on the NFBC website and I go to see where's my team, why am I so bad, or how can I sustain myself, those types of things. But I find myself following. And I've always found myself – I love all the sports, but baseball has always been it for me because – I guess maybe because I played it and I know that from an athletic standpoint, you get players of all different types of talent levels, height, weight that could be stars and that's not like that in all other sports and I always can draw my own comparison to baseball and my own past in it I just have always loved the game I always loved being on the front end of like seeing a kid like this year for example I went to a lot of FAU baseball games and I had no idea that Nolan Chanel who was their first baseman would Hmm. end up in big leagues after about a month yeah. And to see somebody like that as a young player in net and be involved in fantasy, to me, that's what it's all about. Where you're following all these kids from college, even high school to fantasy. And and to me, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I love to win because I don't want to constantly be you know sending out checks. I like to get something back. <laughs> Can I just break even? It's sort of like my it's sort of like my attitude with horses. You know, I'm not looking to break the bank. But if I can stop writing checks on some of these horses, it'd be a great thing. But and that's <laughs> the same way I, in terms of fantasy baseball. Can I just break even?
0: You and know, keep, and then I can just keep playing. Yeah, yes, just absolutely. Let me
2: keep playing. Let me still pochke around with my hobby and let me do my <laughs> thing. Okay, and, and and that's and that's what I did. And that's why I said at the beginning before we came on, I appreciate the listener leagues because it's not a huge amount of money. It's not even about the money. But at this stage of the year where we're ending we're off of fantasy football. We're getting close to the end and I'm still heavily involved in that. But now I'm learning about this year's upcoming fantasy baseball. Like I'm going to be making mistakes in these drafts that I hope I'm not making in late February and March when I know more about the inventory of players. Where are the players short? Like where is the depth of talent light? Where would I know that if I don't have a chance? I don't want to I don't want to go and do these drafts where there's no skin in the game because then not everybody puts their heart into it. You know, at least some of these, you know, I've already played in three gladiator leagues and it's not about the money. It's about how can I better myself? So when it comes in the spring that maybe I do take that chance at playing in one of those higher stakes leagues, just to see, you know, where I stand. Can I, can I get in the top three? Sure. And that's really, you know, where it is for me. And also, you know, it's about roster construction. Like what will work this year? What won't work? You know, and I just like playing around like if I if somebody asked me like advice, somebody asked me a day, how did you do in your fantasy football leagues? I said I did good, but there were some things I made terrible mistakes on. And I was at lunch and they said, you know, what mistakes did you make? I said, I drafted too many of the same players in in too many of my leagues. And I said, "I, I, I absolutely cannot do that. I go, I got baseball coming up. Like I'll give you an example. I have a love affair with a couple of players like Austin Riley and Corey Seager. I can't take them in every league. Seeger's gonna get hurt. Austin Riley will go on a three-week binge where he's not hitting. And but they're both stars. I follow them all the time. But you can't take them in every single league. You know? And yeah, especially so long- in
0: the first half of your draft. Like those no. are the guys. You you can do that in the back half of your draft. You can go after the same, you know, diamonds, what you yeah. see is the diamonds in the rough throughout the course. But yeah, you gotta diversify the first half of your draft.
2: You know, and I, and that's the thing that I have to kind of, you know, be careful about this year. Like I played a lot of best ball this year in football on underdog. Mm-hmm. And I just look at it and say, Adam, man, you, you, you basically made a lot of mistakes doing it that way. And and I said, we can't do that in the other fantasy leagues I play.
0: There you go. Um, all right. Well, sticking with baseball specifically, you said you've done a couple of gladiators. Obviously, you've done uh, yeah. two at least two fab leagues with us. Um, since you've gotten back into baseball, which I will echo your sentiment about Just the idea of following baseball, I think it makes it easier to do because it is a daily thing. Things change daily and it is a long grind. It is not, you know, just a 17 week, 18 week uh, thing like in football or whatever. Um, Even basketball, it's like not everybody plays like every other day. Um, Baseball, there's there's usually except for Mondays and Thursdays, there are 30 games. uh, There's. Fifteen games being played every single day, and you know your your league and your stats can swing um at a moments moments notice, especially in like the first half of the season. Um, so I think that's what makes it kind of almost easier to follow because it's constant. If you're not following it, then you're 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 it's it takes a lot longer to get back back into it. So it's a
2: grind, it really yeah. is. But here's the thing: when you're playing in these leagues, you can grind yourself through hard work and paying attention back into the game and by Absolutely. using your fab money prudently, you know, not throwing it to the, to the closer that you think may be that that one guy that gets you over the hump, that type of thing. And those are things that you learn. But let, let me throw you both out of questions because you guys are both doing drafts and stuff like that. What player so far this year, when you looked at your boards, did you say, see them and go, that's where that guy's going. Like, is there a surprise player that you looked at so far and you go, man, what happened there?
0: I think the one that stood out and I think we're going to, we'll touch on him a little bit later for me came this, uh, came this, this past draft that just finished up. And I think um, you're alluding to somebody who's probably going a little bit earlier than you, than you yeah. would have thought the name I'm going to say is go, he went way later than I expected. I um, mean, that's estuary Ruiz. Um, he went like a hundred picks lower than what his ADP was listed in that draft room. And it's just one of those things where it's like, he just stood at the top of that board. You're waiting for somebody to have messed up and, and timed out. And then they would, they would get stuck with them and nobody did. Everybody kept their queue in line um, most of the time um, is finally he's off the board. Same thing happened with a couple of UT guys um, in that draft. But the fact that, it's like it got you're in this draft room where you just realize every single person is on the same page with what Ruiz brings to the table. um, And they're not willing to pay any kind of premium for the single stat, maybe two stats that he brings to the table, um, no matter how extreme that they might be. But his ADP would say otherwise. Um, And so that was the one that that sh- that kind of Got my eyes um every time my pick came up and he, and he was still there and he was still there, and he was still there I'm like, oh okay, um, I don't know at the other end, um I don't know that like somebody kevin um anybody anybody stand up for you?
1: yeah, I got one for both ends um uh for to answer your question adam and and therefore uh adam's question Uh,
0: (laughs) i knew that was gonna come up at some point
1: (laughs) yeah i think um josh bell uh is going way later than his projections indicate he should and i kind of get it right it's miami it's not the greatest park but he really performed well in miami and we're talking about a right conservative 20 home run 80 RBI guy going near pick 300. Uh, I think that's somebody that is, is going well below uh, the spot where they will actually produce on the other end. Unfortunately, as much as I love watching him play Ellie De La Cruz, right? His, his ADP in draft champions leagues since mid November is 18 he has been drafted as high as the 11th player picked off the board that is insane to me when you look at the players going after him and i understand he's exciting the upside but and and i i agree with Scott Chu's been out there quite a bit, talking about his rolling charts and how much improvement L.A. De La Cruz made towards the end of the season that we may not see in his overall numbers. I get all that, but players going after L.A. De La Cruz, Matt Olson, Corey Seager, Austin Riley, Aussie Albie's, Francisco Lindor, all these guys that we can pretty much pencil in what we know we're going to get from them, and. Most of those numbers are what we're hoping to get from Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, I mean, I I like drafting fun players that I enjoy watching. Unfortunately, I'm probably not going to end up with any Ellie De La Cruz.
2: The guy for me that I saw when I did uh, one of your drafts that I was like, what am I missing here? Was C.J. Abrams. And I just saw on Fantasy Pros, they have their rankings and stuff sure. like that. And I looked and I go, C.J. Abrams is rated higher than Bo Bichette? No way.
1: Stolen base? It's a stolen base. Yeah. Right? I mean, I
2: mean, I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean that's, that's the one thing I was saying. But, you know, the one thing since you guys are, you know, you guys do everything with pitcher lists and everything. Tell me, both you guys, how do you guys prepare for a draft? How much do you guys rely on projections? And is there somebody in the fantasy baseball sphere who puts out rankings that you kind of zero in on and almost follow them.
0: I mean, I'll take the low hanging fruit here. I mean, it's pitching rankings by Nick Pollock. I mean, it's simple. <laughs> I'll be, I'll, I'll be the, the shell, but, but in all actuality, um, the fact that Nick, um, updates these rankings on the regular, and it's not just like, all right, I put out these rankings and that's it. I'm not making adjustments to them. And that's just how I feel about it. In season, he changes these rankings Every week in the offseason, he puts out his really early ones and then he'll start adjusting those uh, come um, come February and then on a, pretty much regularly up until the season in um, the the thought that he brings to the table about not only where they where they're pitching um, or how they're pitching and like how what they've pitched in the past, but also just the art of pitching and and the way that these these pitchers um, utilize they're pitching um, through sequencing and through their talent level and what have you um, puts a lot more faith. I put a lot more faith into what he has to say in that realm. And he'll admittedly say he doesn't care about hitters. He doesn't care about relievers. He's only talking about starters. So those are the rankings I look at personally, as far as projections go. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say I use projections as a crutch, but I mean, I think we say this enough, like there's some really smart people who know what they're doing? That I'm going to at very least utilize the 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 base knowledge that they have um, based on not only what they're putting out for projections for these players, but also what their track record is. Um, and there's some great articles that get put out every year about you know who did the great who did the best job in their projections and year over year and stuff like that. Um, and so we'll, you know, we'll surely have a couple of guests on that put out some of those projections throughout the course of the off season. Um, but I will definitely be, I definitely reference projections, um, as they start coming out more so in the spring than I do maybe in these early drafts. Obviously, there's not as many of those to go around. Um, but I, I will definitely be using those again, not as gospel, not as, you know, stone truth, but definitely I will lean on them a little bit to, uh, uh, give me something to, to jump off from Kevin.
1: Yeah. As far as rankings go, I, I agree 100% uh, on, on Nick Pollock's rankings at pitcher list. I, I told him in my interview now, what's it? the Four years ago yeah, now, there we go. Uh, that <laughs> I, I don't pay attention to pitchers. I just do what you tell me to. That's what I told him. That was four the, years ago. Yeah. That was before. Yeah, Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Like, Like, I worry about the hitters and I look at your pitcher rankings, right? Uh, but in in general, uh, as far as rankings go, because he hasn't done, you know, projections in the past, uh, I am anxious to see the pitcher list projections using PLV that we'll see probably in February. I am, I'm looking forward to seeing that in the past as far as hitters go. I love the fact that the bat X by Derek Cardy incorporates the, the stat cast data because I, I always liked the bat by Derek Cardy anyway, but the, the, you know, a a few years ago, I I've said this many times on the show. You know, Sarah said on a race and barrels podcast one time that none of the projection systems incorporated barrels. And so that was kind of my adjustment to other people's projections that season was look at the their barrel rates and and kind of adjust them a little bit, and that was amazing. It worked phenomenally for me that season. That was twenty twenty, and and then shortly after the Bad X comes out, now we have the 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 Statcast data incorporated into the projections. I. I still believe, and several people have been saying it recently on other podcasts, that it was true for 2023. I think when I'm looking at starting pitching and projections, Steamer has been more accurate than some of the other projection systems over the past few seasons. And uh, that was uh, definitely true in 2023. Uh, And then, you know, you 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 get the 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 composite right i love atc brings them all together and ariel does that research for us yeah right (laughs) this every year ariel cohen tweaks it every year of what percentage of weight is he going to give to the bat to the bad x to steamer and it's based on how they performed in each category at each position each different thing to, to come up with that, that composite of all the projection systems that he incorporates, it doesn't come out until later than the others because he needs everyone else's projections first so he can do it, but it's worth the wait. I love Ariel's ATC projections as well.
0: Yeah, and he changes which projection systems he uses that not only just changes the weights but he'll take one out and put a new one in um if if his research basically dictates it so yeah like the fact that it that it's uh it can be relied on to be unreliable in a way uh because you don't know you don't know the recipe um from season to season you just have to trust that you know errol's a genius and really smart person (laughs) and he knows what he's doing there
2: yeah. I mean, I think that's the one thing that I start, I went on fan graphs. I started looking at steamer over the weekend. I looked at that and then I saw this week, baseball prospectus came out with their Pocota stuff
0: yeah, Pocota, for individual
2: yeah. players. So I'm trying to figure out like, okay, we have certain people that do good at rankings. Okay. And they, and they give out their numbers and stuff like that. And I start looking at different things and how can I incorporate that? Cause you know, even, you know, when I listen to all the, the people that I listen to on podcasts, The ADP is going to change dramatically in the next 60 days.
0: Crazy. Yep. Absolutely. I mean,
2: mean, it's going to, it's, and this is where you guys were talking about drafting early, where you may have some chances of getting some value to the, to the good and and, and maybe to the bad. It just depends, you know, pitching injuries during spring training, those types of things, people that move up a spot. Hey, listen, right now, we don't even know where Josh Hader is going to go. He's a, he's a top 50 player in most drafts, you know, Can you? If he goes to a team that really has a great starting staff, and he's going to get more opportunities, he's he's a locked down closer, you know, set it and forget it. But we don't even know what team he's going to be on. Is it the Cubs? I don't know. You know,
0: yeah. I mean, these early drafts, as you just alluded to, like there's so many bad things that can happen to the top half of your draft. The, I don't necessarily know that it outweighs the rewards you can get in the, in the bottom half of the draft that you're talking about. Like you can get some guys really late that can shoot up your your value rankings um, due to a signing, due to a trade. I mean, we're not going to talk about them, but like Craig Kimbrell and Yanir Cano basically flipped um, in their in their ADP after Kimbrell signed in Baltimore. Um, but then on the other end, you have Max Scherzer, who's still being drafted in the top half of your draft. You know, you you lost them for at least the first half of the year. Um, you know, on, on very extreme, and maybe in early drafts, you know, I've seen some Brandon Woodruff uh, signings. Um, at the very, uh, you know, those first couple drafts before uh, it was announced that you know he he'd be out for the entire year. So things happen, not even just spring training, and those injuries they they seemingly happen to the guys that you're. Picking in the first like ten rounds, and then that makes that pick even even feel even worse than the possibility of signing a closer in the bottom you know ten rounds of your draft, bottom five rounds of your draft, who finds their way into a valuable position. Like if you took a if you took a risk on Matsui signing somewhere like San Diego, where he you know very well could end up being the closer and being very valuable in the fiftieth round or the fortieth round of a draft and hold. Sure, that feels really good. But is that better? Is that worth more than losing like maybe your SP1 or SP2 um in the first like 10 rounds of your draft? I'm not sure.
2: Do you guys have a set pattern in the first 5 rounds where you like to say to yourself, "Hooker by Crook in the first 5 rounds. I got to walk away with this."
0: No, no I not. I mean not. I think I w- I will say that the only way, the only thing that comes close for me is in a 12-teamer. Um, if I don't walk away with the starting pitcher in the first five rounds, I'm perfectly fine. Um, and if I do end up with the, that means somebody that I thought should have won in the first two rounds dropped to the fifth round. Um, but yeah, no, it's, you know, yeah. Go ahead, Kevin. I mean, <laughs> you gonna say the same no, thing. I absolutely
1: think. not. The, the one thing i I, and I was listening to, uh, yesterday's wins above fantasy, uh, with, the uh, uh oh goodness. Van and Van Steve. And Viama- yep. Steve, why, how could I draw a blank on Steve? Goodness. Um, yeah, Van and Steve, and uh they echoed what Nick Pollock has said for years, right? You have to have a plan for second base. I think this year that is the case more than it has been in recent years, and that's due to the the shift restrictions. Like two years ago. I I remember looking at like 60 players drafted in the top 300 had second base eligibility. That's no longer the case. And now there's a big cliff at second base. I think you really want to have a plan. Doesn't mean you have to take one in the first five rounds, but know what you're going to do. If you don't, That that is one thing. And one thing I'd like to add back to the projections. We, we, I, I named all of the, the, the free projections available on FanGraphs. I'm also a big fan of Todd Zola's uh, master's ball projections as well. I'd like to throw that out there.
0: Yeah, can we remember that. Yeah, I think a lot of like the masses like to rely on those projections on FanGraphs because they're included on the player pages, right? On zips, right on steamer, there. depth charts, they're all there. ATC ends up being on there as well. Uh, the bat ends up being on there. Um, but yeah, there are other options out there. You talked about Bacoda, um, Adam, and obviously Masters Balls projections as well. Um, the PLV projections that you talked about being part of uh, the PL Pro package um, that you get with PitcherList. So there are a ton of options out there. It's just a matter of knowing the ones you feel the most comfortable with, the ones that you have a little bit of history with, um, and the ones that provide you Transparency. I think that's key to like going with a projection system that you really feel comfortable with is what kind of transparency are they bringing? They don't need to give you, you know, everything that they put into it, but you have to be able to trust that what they're putting in is actually making a difference. Uh, So, like, you know, like Kevin talked about, the Bat X puts in Stack Ass data. You know that, well, you know that because. The player pages that at uh pitcher list are also powered by stack s now that we have that data going into that projection system as well um so no and then obviously we talked about atc not knowing for sure but also Kind of knowing <laughs> what he's putting into it, and and tweaking it every year, and knowing that process. And Ariel goes on podcasts throughout the course of the off season, kind of talking about him as his projection system's about to come out. Um, so you can really hear a lot of like uh, what goes into that right out of the horse's mouth with him as well.
2: You know, it's funny you One mentioned that we talked about Todd Zola before we got on yes we did on the podcast and todd was just a guest on the pull hitter podcast with rob DiPietro. pietro so i was listening as i was walking the other night and todd made a great point because he was talking about rob asked him how did he come up with his projections or how does he use projections when he looks at other people and he said almost exactly what you said adam he said if i know what goes into that particular person's projections, or how I explain how I do my projections, that's when I put weight in it, or when I value what that person's time. If they're not going to tell me how those numbers are actually how the how the food is made, then is they're just
0: made, numbers. They're yeah. just
2: numbers, and it yeah, is yeah. you know it, you know. So that's why I respect Todd because he tells you exactly you know this is what I did. This is. I, I enjoy hearing people when they tell me not only how they come up with things, but when you hear from Todd and how many hours he puts oh, into sure. this, there's a certain level of respect that you have to give somebody and say, listen, this guy's grinding it <laughs> for, for, for the betterment of us. Mm-hmm. So we can make the right decisions. You know, I, I could print out the ESPN rankings in, in five seconds, but it doesn't go by, you know. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I, know. <laughs> but, but I I don't go by you know you know what i'm saying i you you have you and that's part of the enjoyment of being of playing fantasy baseball you know and, and, and that's how i enjoy it and that's how i would tell somebody else
0: yeah sorry espn um i mean there's podcasts dedicated to those rankings when they come out and they're not usually positive ones uh kevin what's up
1: <laughs> yeah just just one thing um I know everybody's budget is different. Sometimes spending a few bucks on something means that's one less league you can play in. But if, if you have the ability, the, the advantage of some of these projection systems and, and, and sites that, that cost a few bucks, PL Pro, right, mm-hmm. or Masters Ball or FTN, all, all um, amazing. If you don't have that information, that's information some of your competitors have that you don't, right? Even if you're not putting a huge amount of stock in it when you're making your decisions, it does let you know what some of your competitors are doing because they will follow those sites religiously.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Got to know your league. Got to know, know the room. All right, guys. This was amazing. We do have to talk about some actual players and some trends that we saw in these last two drafts. Uh, we're going to talk about some guys, some, uh, some major differences in draft spots for a few players throughout the course of the draft. And we're going to do that after this third break. All right, we're back. We are going to play a new game that I, I named specifically for the season. Um, guys, we're going to play a game I'm calling Gift or Cole. Um, and how it's going to work is I put together a list of players that were all drafted. At some point in the last two 12-team listener leagues that we just completed, uh, they were drafted at least one time within the first 20 rounds um, of the draft. So we're looking at the first two thirds of the draft um, in a 30 round draft in a 12 teamer. And they they had the largest gap between picks between either the November draft in December draft or vice versa. Um, so what I want from you guys as I as we go through these kind of like position by position or groupings by position, um, if. I want to know from you if you think either one of these two picks was a gift, as in they went way later than you would expect, um, and the the team that finally pulled the trigger on them is probably getting a gift, um, in, in added value based on where they got them, or if the earlier pick ends up you think is going to end up being cool, aka somebody got greedy, they put them a little bit too early, earlier than they should have been, um, and they're not going to they're not going to return the value now. A player could have, they could be coal on one side and a gift on the other. They could just be a gift on one side and nothing on the other or what have you. Uh, I'll I'll leave it up to you guys to make the decision on some of these. Um, but that's it. And then we're going to go and then I got a list at the very end of guys that went past round 20. And just want to see if you guys, Uh, th- th- that's where you're going to see a lot of fluctuation in general with a ton of players. So I don't want to go player by player with that one. But if there's anybody out there that, uh, um, you know, gun to your head, you're going to have to draft. Which one are you going to feel more comfortable with uh, picking at the early end um, or the late end? So let's start. Let's go around the diamond in here. We had a couple of catchers that stood out. Um, All of them went much earlier in the November draft than they did in the December draft. Uh, Kybert Ruiz, Tyler Stevenson, and Danny Jansen all went within the first 20 rounds in November with Kybert Ruiz going in the 14th round at pick 164 on the very earliest end, Jansen at 231 overall. Um, In December, however, they all dropped at least four, um, if not eight rounds um, in their drafts. So Ruiz went from 164 in November to 212. Stevenson went from 220 to 264. And Jansen went from 231 to 329, a 98 pick swing there. Um, Kevin, who, um, I mean, overall, is this a, a trend that you're expecting to see out of catchers in general as people start realizing, hey, the catcher position maybe is a little deeper than we expected it to be? Um, or do you think this has more to do with these particular players?
1: I do don't think it has to do with particular players i do think it has a little bit to do with people realizing catchers the catching positions a little deeper than we've been used to the past uh, few seasons but i think in general i don't think this is necessarily a trend at all between november to december this is just different drafts right catcher is one of the positions that you react to as you're drafting and so the fact that the catchers started going later in the december draft than they did in the november draft yes once again it could have to do with people realizing it's a little deeper than it has been in recent years but at the same time it it could just as easily be when did the catchers start getting picked in this draft, you know, even much earlier where were Adley Rutschman and Will Smith and Salvador Perez. And, you know, when, when were those guys being drafted and it just affects the whole thing. So I wouldn't look at this as much of a trend, um, at at least to this extent of what we saw, the difference between November and December. Uh, uh, it does have a little bit to do with, but I I think coming in most drafters thought that it's the catching positions deeper for 2024 than it has been in the past. Uh, In spite of losing, you know, two of the top picks from last year due to position eligibility and MJ Melendez and Dalton Barshow, there were so many catchers late in the season available and, and people are probably like, Hey, you know, Luis Camposano was great for my team last year. Why am I taking these guys earlier? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's something to do with that. But in general, I, I think this one can still vary draft to draft, and it may not be as much of a trend as it does appear to be.
0: Adam, you're in both of these drafts. Do you see any of these picks being, as the name of the game is, uh, a gift to any of these teams? I,
2: I'm i a big I was up at... You know, I'm looking at the stats now, and I'm actually surprised at how he finished up. Tyler Stevenson was coming off shoulder surgery going mm-hmm. into last year, and I thought it kind of zapped his power. But when I'm looking over here and see how he ended up last year, the power ended up being okay. So if he can bounce back in that ballpark, I think he provides pretty good value at either the 19th round or the 22nd round. I don't see much of a difference. He He's the guy that I think could, could give you some some really significant value where he was drafted based on how he performed two years ago and the ballpark he plays in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, I mean, full disclosure, the Kybert Ruiz pick in the 18th round in the December draft, that was me. And I, I, I wasn't chomping at the bit for him, but as Kevin, you talked about like this definitely seemed like a draft where the catchers were just Kind of falling, um, and it was just like you know you're playing check in with everybody else. You're like, all right, well, who's gonna finally? And then they all kind of went, you know, in a in a little bit of a grouping. Um, I wouldn't say I got stuck with Ruiz. I am I'm happy to have him as somebody who is basically playing every day for the Nationals and kind of coming into his own in that in that situation. Um, I wouldn't necessarily reach for him though, even even in uh, a draft where the catchers are going early. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be reaching for him all the way up in the 14th round. Um, you know, four, four rounds earlier than that, um, where I've got my eye on different, different things at this point. So I do think that regardless of trends, there are some overall stats you're expecting out of positions, uh, that you're going to need to be adjusting for. Uh, if, if, if that trend does change into the draft that you're, you're in at this position. So something to keep an eye on there. Um, Let's head to the infielders, and I'm going to knock one of these off the list right away, and just kind of put this out there. Jackson Holiday, he was had one of the biggest swings, going uh, the 15th round in the November draft, and going as high as the eighth round um, in our December draft. Um, and Kevin, you weren't there. Um, but <laughs> this was definitely an admitted fault of my own, as my cue was set but it was a mess and it was absolutely a mess and i did time out um, in the eighth round i got so many messages on the back end um i got text messages i got emails i got discord messages saying hey um this day got away from me and i did not clean up my queue so i got jackson holiday in the eighth round um yeah so we're not even gonna talk about that one i just want i'm just just hold i'm holding myself accountable. I'm putting myself out there on air and letting everybody know that's what happened there. Um, otherwise though, we do I have three more guys here in the infield on uh, Nathaniel Lowe. He went uh, much earlier in the November draft. He started to drop at least in compared to these two drafts. went to the 15th round in November 19th round in December. Uh, Adam, I'm going to start with him specifically. Um, do you see either one of these as gift or cool?
2: For, you're talking about Jackson Holiday and that? No,
0: no, I, I, I'm skipping Jackson Holiday. We're not talking about him anymore.
2: <laughs> okay. The guy in that group that I want is Nolan Gorman.
0: So the other two, uh, yeah, I'll jump ahead. We got Nolan Gorman and Ed, uh, Edward Julian, who both went earlier um, in December than they did in November. So their stock is rising up. So talk to me about Nolan Gorman.
2: I think Nolan Gorman has a lot of upside. I think before we get to spring training, St. Louis will make. A few more deals okay they have an overabundance of outfielders we know that they just got done trading tyler o'neill to the red sox i know that doesn't affect the infield but it does potentially open up a, a spot uh you know nolan Arenado's is ending you know he, he's he when i look at nolan arenado and i'm trying to see the linkage between him and nolan gorman i don't know what the long-term future is for arenado and st louis but with gorman the only negative that I have with him is really, it's really two. If he can just lessen the amount of his strikeouts and he can go into an extended slump. Those are the types of things that just frustrate you as a, as a fantasy owner, but he has power that you just can't teach. And he has a swing that is just phenomenal. And he plays second base, you know, and you, it's very hard to find that type of power. One of these years, he's going to hit 40 home runs. Maybe it's this year, maybe it's next, but he has that type of ability.
0: Yeah, you hope to get that the year that you draft him in You know, a bunch of places, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Especially <laughs> out, of the second, out of the second base hole. Uh, Kevin, um, we'll just group these guys together again. Nathaniel Lowe, the one guy who went earlier um, in November than he went in December. The other two guys, Nolan Gorman and Edouard Julian, going a little bit later, uh, sorry, a little bit earlier in December um stock rising just a little bit at the second base position um of course those two guys who went earlier at second base are you putting any stock into the fact that yeah like you said you have to have a plan for second base or um again it's just a little bit of a less of a trend because it is only just two drafts
1: no i think that is part of it i i or a lot of it i i think second base is going to be an issue in 2024 and the way Nick likes to phrase it, you have to have a plan, and I think that plan for many people, after seeing what was going on in November, was okay. Uh, if, if I don't grab one of the the top four, and, and, and the, the 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 top four being Betts, uh, Albies, Simeon, Altuve, that there's a big cliff after that. I mean, there's a big drop already. Uh, At the position, was okay. So I'm gonna wait. I get a Nolan Gorman. I get a Edward Julian. And so, they're coming up a little bit. I think the gift here is the December draft pick for Nathaniel Lowe. Um, Lowe, uh, one of these players that you know had a great 2022, even chipped in some stolen bases. We. Didn't see stolen bases from him in 2023 in spite of the rules changes. But it, it, that's not his game. I, I, I think the, the power can be there. We're not looking at 30, 35 home runs. We're looking at 25 home runs is, is probably what I would expect from him. And it, in DC's since mid November, and um, his ADP is between one. Well, his min is one seventy nine, max two twenty one. So this pick was close to his max in December, and I like that a lot here. Like I said, I I have realized after the drafts I've done that I I have I've drafted Freddie Freeman, I have drafted Bryce Harper. I've drafted Matt Olson. I've drafted Pete Alonso. and I've drafted Vlad Guerrero. In, in some leagues, I've drafted more than one of those guys. And then I get to this range in the draft, Vinny Pasquantino, Nathaniel Lowe, Reese Hoskins, you know, Brandon Drury, and players I like that are at good value at this point in the draft, and I don't have a spot for them. Right. And that is an adjustment I'm making going forward. I have realized... I'm drafting too many first basemen too early in the drafts I've done so far.
0: Yeah, I've I've definitely been uh, uh, guilty of that as well in at least one draft that I've done. Um, Would you, I mean, we talked about it at the top of the show um, about, you know, Adam, we talked about the outfield not being, you know, as deep as you'd like it to be. Kevin, we're talking a lot about second base not being very deep. Um, You know, push comes to shove. You know who which one are you prioritizing? and I, I'm gonna use my specific example of NFBC 50 that I just finished up. I, I, I thought the same thing as as far as second base in that draft, I picked bets too overall with the expectation that he's my starting second baseman, right um, as it as the draft went on and on, I realized, all right, first of all, I only picked one other I only picked one outfielder at that time. Um, and then all of a sudden, it just seems as though these second basemen were just falling, falling, and falling. So I'm like, all right, well, I could either pick a you know set a couple second basemen and then move bets into my outfield, or I can go after the outfielders that are available this time. Um, the value was with the second baseman, so I ended up with Glaber Torres. I ended up with Zach Geloff, um, who I'll be targeting late as well, while he still stays late. I think uh, if Casey Bubba has anything to say about it, he's going to start jumping off draft boards um, as well, but. I almost felt like, oh, may, I, maybe I wouldn't have picked bets too overall if I knew he was going to be in my outfield. Anyway, I'm not uh, unhappy about it. I'm perfectly happy to have him there, but maybe I would have, you know, gone towards somebody where I feel a little bit more comfortable with the 50 stolen bases out of Corbin Carroll or even um, uh, Julio Rodriguez, who's going to get the 30 plus. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, w- do you which one which one do you think on a more regular basis um, is going to be something that you need to focus on? You need five outfielders. You only need one second baseman.
1: Right. Just earlier today, I was I was thinking of this uh, that the a couple of the drafts I've done, I wished I had drafted Buki Betts, and it's the advantage not only that he's a great player and he's going to perform as as a first round draft pick. But it gives you that flexibility that you just talked about. When I draft Mookie Betts as a top five pick or top eight pick, wherever he's going right now, uh, I'm penciling him in at second base. But as the draft goes on, if there's a better second baseman available, than there is an outfielder available. That's an easy, easy switch to make. So that's the advantage of, of getting a guy like Betts in the first round.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is what was true with like Trey Turner when he had dual eligibility yep. at the top of the draft. You could just choose which middle infield spot you were in a, you were gonna go with, um, or outfield spot when he had it. Um, and so you know, it's a, it's the same it's the same idea.
1: Position position eligibility has can be as much or even more advantageous during the draft as it can be in season because you have that flexibility to move guys around.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's true for Gladiators, especially early in the draft. Um, yeah, they're stuck oh, in the hey, position Donnie, throughout the season.
1: If, if you yeah. have to, you can move him to pitcher, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not this year. Not this year. No, so no, no. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: um, all right. Well, let's move to the last bit of hitting grouping here we got in the outfield. Um, outfielders who went at least one time in the 20th round or earlier, Um Let's let's group these two early guys together first. Adam, we'll start with you. Um, Cedric Mullins and Esri Ruiz, they both dropped. And as I talked about earlier, Ruiz dropped quite a bit. He went 74 picks lower in December than he did in November, dropping from the 11th round to the 17th round. Cedric Mullins went ninth round in November, dropped uh, four rounds to the 13th in December, Um, do you attribute anything in particular to either one of these drops? Um, As I kind of alluded to with Ruiz, obviously, you know, my thoughts on that, but um, were you kind of surprised by either one of these drops and, or um, do you see a value in where they were picked?
2: The thing with Ruiz is I had him on a number of teams last year. He went late in the summer, had an injury. And when he came back, he didn't get consistent playing time. So that's the one area I'm like concerned, like, how are the A's going to use him? Obviously, there's not a lot of talent in that outfield. You have Seth Brown. I mean, you're that's. I mean, he should be able to get consistent playing time. Cedric Mullins, on the other hand, last year he had a really, really down year. A lot of strikeouts. Um, he was injured. Um, not playing every day. Not playing every day. I mean, that Orioles team scares me from a standpoint. You have a lot of young kids. You don't know how, like, you have him down here a little bit later in the next grouping, like Austin Hayes, and I feel like they're in the same thing, except Cedric Mullins has a lot of speed. If I can get Ruiz in the 17th round or the 16th round based on steals, that's a gift, especially with, you know, obviously our our feelings about steals. The rest of the guys that are in that grouping, Ruiz would be the guy that he does something so superior that it just draws you to him.
0: Yeah. The Ruiz thing is interesting to me only because like I talked about, he's so one dimensional, really, especially on the A's. He doesn't have to play every day to steal 50, 60 bases. He doesn't, you know, didn't have to be, but that's all you're really banking on are those stolen bases. So if you built your roster with that deficiency, by the time Ruiz comes, you know, it comes time to draft Ruiz, whether it's the 11th round or the 17th round, um, that's a gift regardless, just based on the fact that that's how you ended up drafting your team. But if you prioritize that category in the first five rounds, and there are plenty of players to do that with, especially at the top half of the first round of the draft, pretty much if you're, if you got a one through six pick, you're going to get somebody unless you go pitcher, that's going to steal you, you know, 20 to 40 bases on average. Um, so at least you have that base to work off of. But if you weren't able to do that and you went Freddie Freeman or you went Matt Olson, you went that first base route, you went that power heavy route, then Reese is a good compliment regardless of where he gets drafted. He just has to fit what you've been doing. Um, Mullen's a little bit more well-rounded as long as he gets the playing time. Um, so I think that it's just a, as the, as the season goes on uh I'm expecting somebody like Mullins to drop a little bit more as they start doing a little bit more deep dive the the name recognition wears off from what we saw him do in his 30 30 season, um, et cetera et cetera so a couple other outfielders in here Kevin um they all they all brought their stock up I guess in our December draft um, as they all went close to four round three or four rounds um, earlier than we saw them go in November. Um, all pretty much going around, you know, similar, you know, relatively similar spots. We got Kerry Carpenter, he went in the 19th round in November, up as high as the 16th round in December. Taylor Ward went from the 20th round to the 16th round, and then MJ Melendez, he went as low as the 24th round in November, but jumped up to the 20th round. Um, you know, of course. I want to know how you feel about MJ Melendez and how much playing time he's actually going to get in Kansas City. As you mentioned earlier, they still have too many outfielders. Um, but what uh, are any of these guys in this little threesome uh, a gift or, or are they coal on, on either end of this?
1: I think all three of them were a gift in November. And, and that's what we saw uh, with them getting drafted right around three rounds earlier Uh, exactly three rounds for Ward and Melendez and just a a handful of picks less than three rounds earlier for Kerry Carpenter Uh, and I think it goes to that uh, five outfield leagues outfield dries up pretty quick people realize that and with Melendez I think the initial thought and and mine as well even as a Royals fan is oh no catcher eligibility I'm not even paying attention to MJ Melendez. Well, then you look at his second half numbers and how he pr- improved throughout the year, started showing the what he had done in his rookie season and in the minors. And now Melendez even at pick um 240, I think seems like a, a nice spot to me. I I think in general it's people are realizing outfield isn't so deep in five outfielder leagues is why we saw this increase on all three of them uh so definitely a gift for all of them in uh november i i, I think I, I still like all of them where they're going in december i i've always been a fan of of carrie carpenter my I, i'd be the most concerned about taylor ward in this spot we've just seen him so volatile and injuries have had a lot to do with that the team context is is not great to to say the least uh so yeah i i i'm i'm happy with all of them in december the only one i wouldn't have taken in their spot in november is probably taylor ward
0: to be fair i mean i think the taylor i'm pretty sure the taylor ward was my pick in december um, let's just keep in mind I, his injury that kept him off the field for the second half of the season was a fluke. He got hit in the face yeah. <laughs> and had facial surgery that kept him out the rest of the year. Um, so I mean, yeah, he's, you know, like many players, he's had other injuries, but at least the most recent one, not his fault, um, per se, or at least not his body's fault. All right. We got a, a bunch of pitchers gonna... here on the list. Um, let me back
1: up real quick, Adam, before yeah, yeah. we go to pitchers. Uh, Asturi Ruiz is fascinating to me. And I think those that drafted Asturi Ruiz for 2023 were more than ecstatic of what they got from him, especially that 254 batting average. I don't think we were expecting that. Uh, I, I have heard, I think it was Ryan Bloomfield on, on Bubba in the Bloom saying that he had Ruiz on the same team that he had Ronald Acuna. And for the last <laughs> third of the season, he... Didn't play Ruiz, and I think great, right? <laughs> and I wouldn't drop him either in that scenario, to, uh, unless you take a really deep dive on that stolen base category in a roto Yeah, I mean, we talked about that with Sage. Right, right. You, you hold on you to him even too, if you're yeah. not starting him. But for teams that didn't have Ronald Acuna's seventy steals, <laughs> that did have a sturdy Ruiz, he. Help them win the league or cash in that league. And just like you said, just like Adam saying, I mean, there is a spot for him on rosters. and uh, i'm I'm not gonna pencil him in for a two fifty four batting average, but if I'm getting into the double digit rounds and I'm short on stolen bases in my opinion, I am absolutely grabbing Mr. E. Ruiz.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm hoping he continue well, he gets back to an everyday playing time as Adam talked about earlier. Um it was worrisome that you know they kind of babied him a little bit as he came back from that injury. But uh Steamers got him for a two forty nine. So they're not dropping him a whole bunch um in right. that batting average category. So uh you know forty nine stolen bases instead of sixty seven. Uh, I think that's probably on the low end. Based and that's on that's a what- projection,
1: right? A projection, yeah. and they're conservative. <laughs> yes.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Especially on the hitter side. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, like I said, we got a bunch of pitchers to talk about um, at different levels here, and we are going to get to all of them after this break. All right. Let's get right into the pitchers, guys. Uh, let's let's bunch these two together. Adam, we'll start here off with you with the high end pitchers. Um, literally going back to back in both drafts uh Justin verlander and Dylan cease both win the seventh round went three picks apart from each other in November both dropped down to the 11th round in December going two picks apart from each other 127 129 respectively overall um yeah are these guys that are just have a little bit too much question they, they come from very different areas they're I mean as far as teams team concepts go um, as age goes, there's not much really linking these two guys be- besides where they're going in drafts. Um, are you happy to pick them up as late as the 11th round, or are you reaching for either one of them in the seventh? The
2: seventh round is too sweet. That, that, that's really too soon to pick up either one with what I'm a fan of, Dylan especially
0: a C- 12 teamer.
2: Yeah. See C- I'm a big fan of, I just think he had one of those years Verlander, I think he's teetering on one of those things where he's going to miss a few starts, but you could say that about any pitcher and stuff like that. Um, Seventh round is way too juicy. The 11th round on cease is somebody you have to strongly consider. You know what? I'm being a little bit too harsh. If I could get Verlander in the 11th round and I can be assured, you know, he's taken the ball. He wants to win games. I'm good with either pitcher in the 11th
0: round. So, all right, either one, sure. But, all right, they're going back to back. You're up. They're both on the board. And I would prefer to have Cease. Okay. All right. You know, are you saying that because you just like Cease better as a pitcher? Because being with the White Sox isn't doing him any favors. We know that. I don't
2: think think he's going to be with the White Sox. There
0: it is. And that was my question. I I
2: don't think he's going to be with the White Sox. I think they're going to wait this out to see what other starting pitchers sign as free agents. The team that is on the outside looking in for one of these big free agents, they're going to be – on the phone with the White Sox, with prospects, let's talk about Cease. You know, I just think he'll be in a different environment. I think that White Sox environment last year is like almost toxic.
0: Oh, my God. You know,
2: yeah. and I just, <laughs> you know, it's just, I, I just don't think that that was the right environment for him. He had too good of a year the previous year to, to kind I mean, I, I just thought last year was an outlier.
0: Yeah, uh, runner-up for the AL Cy Young, if I remember correctly, that season. So, And doesn't forget uh, that quickly. Um, all right, we got uh, Kevin. We'll lump these. Uh, uh, we can lump all three of these guys together, I think, especially. I want to get Lugo in um, on your takes here. Um, of course, all right, Seth Lugo, that is. Uh, 23rd round in November. He's the only one that went a little bit earlier. I think there's probably an obvious reason here, but I'll let you make uh, assumptions for me. Went to the 19th round in December. Um, of course, after the news broke that he actually signed uh, a deal with a team that was going to put him in the rotation or keep him in the rotation, that is. Um, on top of that, guys are going a little bit earlier than him, at least in November, where Nick Lodolo and Shane Bieber going in the 17th and 13th round respectively. They both dropped um with Nick LaDolo dropping below Seth Lugo going in the 22nd round in December. Shane Bieber still above Lugo, but a much, much closer in the 18th round going just uh, eight picks before Lugo um, dropping 55 picks himself though. So between Shane Bieber and Nick Lodolo dropping quite a bit and then Seth Lugo jumping up equal amounts, uh, which one has your eye? Uh, which one do you have your eye on here?
1: I, I think in the December drafts at, at pick two fifty four, Nick Lodolo is a gift. Um, he he is amazing. Um, the only negative, other, well, that means it's not the only negative. So I need to reword this. A <laughs> couple of negatives: the ballpark and the injury history, right? But his his stuff is phenomenal. If we can get a a healthy Nick Lodolo. And he gives us 130 innings. He is going to well outperform this this draft price, in in my opinion. Seth Lugo, yes. The, the jump, 50 spots in ADP, he signed. And he went to a good pitcher's ballpark. I'm fine with it. I'm probably looking for guys like Nick Lodolo with more upside at, at this point. But Seth Lugo, steady. A great ballpark and, and and i think he's fine there shane bieber is someone that the 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 decrease in velocity over the past couple of seasons and it i am shocked that he was drafted in the 13th round in our first 12 team league uh 12 team listener league uh, and the dropped 18th round probably not enough for me uh he's someone i, I don't have much interest in where he has been being drafted. Um, I love Nick Lodolo, especially uh, at at the later spot, and uh, Seth Lugo. I'm fine with.
0: Yeah, so doesn't sound like necessarily. We got a lot of a lot of takes from you guys as far as uh, guys that you prefer them at their later spots, um, but not so much. Is there anybody that we've talked about so far from this group that you feel um, on their early end? Uh, was a little bit of a stretch. Team got greedy. You'd call it specifically Cole. So we're talking all the way back up to um, the catcher position down to the starter pitchers that we talked about. We'll get to the post-round 20 uh, guys in just a bit. But from this first group, um, Adam, start with you. Is there anybody here that you felt like they, whoever picked them the earliest probably stretched a little bit? Jackson Holiday, put that one to the side. (laughs)
2: Honestly, at the seventh round, I think the Verlander and Cease picks were are. Mm. I think that's when you're really, you know, rushing to 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 get things. You know, it's funny. I'm sitting here looking at Steamers projections, and because I wanted to see, okay, what are we talking about? Shane Bieber rates is 26, Cease is 34, Verlander's 42. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing, the thing, I agree with what Kevin's saying about. um Shane Bieber, his velocity. See, that's the one thing with all the fan graphs and all the Statcast data where you can't hide when you have velocity decreases. You know, it makes people from franchises get nervous. Like, what's going on? Is he going to be honest? Does he have an arm problem? What's it? Do I have to rush him in for an MRI? I don't know. But the one thing about Shane Bieber above all these guys, he knows how to pitch. He's not just a thrower. He can pitch. And he's another guy that I think in spring training, if he pitches well, probably going to be dealt because of how much money he makes. You know, but at eight, first off, we're in the 18th round. If you get him in a 25, if you have a 25 or you know whatever league that you're playing in, that's pretty juicy getting a nice pitcher like that with good upside. And what's the worst thing that can happen? You cut him at the 18th round? That's not a spot you worry too much about. Too much upside in 18th round.
0: Yeah, especially in a, a 12-teamer where the replacement value, even at starting pitcher, uh, can be something that uh, you can feel comfortable uh, taking a chance on in rotating through. Uh, Kevin, same question. Anybody on here besides the guys that Adam touched on, uh, you see as more of a, a coal pick where they reached a little bit too early?
1: I I think even at the later pick in December, Dylan Cease. It's all about that name, and I, I I'm not going there. Right, many people, including Nick Pollock, including many other people at Pitcher List and other podcasts and other content providers. Uh, so many of us had concerns about Dylan Cease going into 2023. And it came to fruition, a four-five-eight ERA, seven wins, yes, over 200 strikeouts. And everybody that talked negatively about Dylan Cease going into 2023 acknowledged, you'll get the strikeouts, but that's all you're getting. What he gave us is what we were expecting. So that's what I'm expecting going forward, and it's not worth an 11th round draft pick.
0: Fair enough. Um, all right, guys. right, let's end on this late round swings. Uh, got a list in front. I'll list all the guys off to so give you guys a chance to think it over. Um, but these are all guys we expect there to be swings in the bottom third of your draft. Right. You're going to have guys. This is the time where you're like your entire queue is just full of guys you just want to grab. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't necessarily matter if you get them in the 30th round or you get them in the 25th round or you get them, you know, 22nd round. Um, But these guys all had the biggest swings of that of this group. Some earlier, some later. Um, I did leave off the guys that like weren't drafted at all in one draft or the other. These are guys are drafted in both drafts Um, and we're going to go down the list. And I want to I want again, they might not be on your queue and you can say that if you want. But you still got to pick. Hey, I have to like. I have to draft this guy. Um, fine, you know I like him enough where I'm gonna I'm gonna reach for him at these early of the two picks, or no, I'm just gonna wait. I'll get him at, at the at the very end, and then I'll deal with the consequences after the fact because I don't really like him. Um, so Rafaela Sedane, uh, Rafaela of the Boston Red Sox in November, he. So of all these guys, he had the biggest swing. Uh, he went in the 22nd round in November, fairly confident. That one was me. Um, but in December, dropped all the way down to the 30th round. He was one team's uh, final pick at pick overall, 350. Uh, Kevin, first one's for you. Um, you've got you've to draft Sedane. Where like are you reaching for him at 22, or you're just going to be stuck with him at 30?
1: Uh, I'll just be stuck with him at 30. Um, I I think we we Duran is the center fielder. Tyler O'Neill, as long as he stays healthy, is the left fielder. I think they're gonna give Abreu the first shot ahead of Rafaela. So, yeah, I have to take the the later one here. Um, he, he's I, I, I think he's got potential. But unfortunately, as of right now, I don't think he has the plate appearances.
0: Yeah, I agree. Especially I think I already quoted it. But like uh, you go back to like an October edition of Zimmerman's uh, Mining the News. It's already mentioned that there's a strong possibility he starts in AAA to work not on his defense, but on his offense. His defense is elite um and so to have to say that he's got to work on his offense in the minor leagues is uh is either is both saying that there's not going to be everyday playing time for him in Boston to start um and you know maybe there will be in Worcester uh the next one on the list with a decently sized uh jump in the outfield still Brian De la Cruz um Adam we got him going in the 24th round in November 29th round in December uh You've got to draft De La Cruz. You're waiting until the 29th to pull the trigger, or are you shooting him up the board at 24?
2: You know, I just took him in um, one of our leagues. And, you know, since I've seen him play a lot with the Marlins, he went through a stretch last year that he, I picked him up, and I was really happy that I did. It was right around the t- same time that Jazz Chisholm had an injury. I like him. And the Marlins have not really added much to the outfield, so I think he's going to get playing time. And I think there's some more there not at the 24th round but anywhere from 26 to 29 I think he has some value I all think right. he has some value especially in a five outfielder league
0: Yeah I think with him it's mostly it's all going to be about playing time and like you yep. said I mean they're not bringing back Solar granted he's not clogging up the DH spot which you know in theory gives a lot of, of a lot of opportunity to a lot of players probably more so Josh Bell um but at the same time uh the outfield can switch around as well uh yeah, willie
1: his, uh de la cruz's playing time probably got safer mm-hmm. and he had 626 played appearances in 153 games last season 19 home runs just a handful of stolen bases but close to 80 rbi 60 runs scored at, at this spot even at his early draft spot in in my mind that's a gift
0: All right, Willie Castro, next on the list, uh, one of the few guys on here that does still have position flexibility with third base and outfield eligibility in NFBC. Uh, Kevin, he went 26th round in November. He was my final pick in the 30th round in December, um, overall 356 pick. Um, Willie Castro, obviously not guaranteed playing time per se with the Twins, but with everything that has to do with the twins uh, injuries do usually provide other players with added opportunity um, between Alex Kirloff, Royce Lewis, Brian Bruxton, all being pretty uh, prone to that. Unfortunately, Um, Willie Castro with that eligibility and the stolen bases um, that late in the draft. uh, Is this somebody that you would be target in the early part of the bottom third, or you'd be, you're fine. I'll be stuck with them in the 30th.
1: Um, I, the, the easy answer is always going to be, Oh, I'd rather be stuck with him in the 30th, <laughs> but this this is one of the players that depends on how you have drafted up to this point. Uh, it's really hard to ignore 33 stolen bases and 409 plate appearances. And so, if you are light on speed, then I can absolutely see justifying the earlier draft spot, especially he's not a zero in power. He's not great, but nine home runs and 409 of plate appearances leading to projections at least what we have so far steamer giving him double digit home runs and just a few more plate appearances so it's not just the the so-called burner or rabbit he is contributing in other spots and a batting average that doesn't hurt you either uh the 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 more i think about it even at the earlier draft spot he's gonna get this playing time i think uh with minnesota uh maybe even more than he's being projected for i understand big big platoon guy i understand he's had issues in the past but he might get into more than 107 games and uh being projected for double digit home runs and 20 plus stolen bases in just 107 games Eh, i i could probably go the earlier spot here even
0: all right, I'm going to lump these last because they're all outfielders, uh, with you know, Mitt be having some flexibility possibly um, going into 2024. But we got Adam. We'll, we'll lump these together, and Kevin, I'll get your take on all four of them as well. But Brent Rooker, Austin Hayes, Alec Thomas, and Whit Merrifield all went a little bit later in the late part of the December draft than they did in November. Ranging from Brent Rooker in the 22nd round, Alec Thomas being someone's final pick in the 30th round um, at pick 360 overall. They all pretty much had the same swing right around 44 to 49 pick swings. So they're all dropping in unison together. Um, were uh, all all four of these guys. Are you looking at any of them at these early picks or are you happy being stuck with them at the end?
2: The Austin, I've been always been a fan of Austin Hayes. So that's, it's kind of like teases me a little bit somewhere in that 24 to 28, again, playing time, you know, but he's the kind of guy that he could have a breakout, you know, especially if we end up overrating some of these Orioles prospects that have come up and really haven't performed yet. If they don't perform in it, we can get Austin Hayes to 500 at bats and he can get, very lucky and have an injury-free year, he's going to put up some monster numbers. I mean, really good numbers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, these are, let's take keep in mind, all these picks are all bench picks. And right now, so far, all these guys are bench bats. We'll get to a couple of pitchers in a second. Um, but these are all guys that are going to be sitting on your bench. And when you're draft, in my mind, I had this question come up um, in a conversation um, earlier in the week. Um, when you're drafting these Fab leagues, these 30 round Fab leagues, where you you know you have your seven bench spots in the NFBC, um, you can these al- almost all of these final seven picks are all upside picks in my mind. Um, I could take a lot more risk with these picks in these early Fab leagues, um, and I could, guys that either can hit their way into a good situation in spring training. They can sign with a team where they weren't on before with a different opportunity. They can be a prospect who wins a job out of spring training. And then all of a sudden, you know, they would have jumped up maybe in those late March drafts, you start seeing them jump up to like, you know, in the top 150 picks instead of being around, you know, 300. Um, And so I mean, to me, when I look at these guys personally, it's like which one of them is has the opportunity to show me something more in not only spring training but maybe in the first two three weeks of April. Then I or are they just players? They are who we thought they were. Um, to me, Alec Thomas is the one that stands out the most in that situation where he just didn't have that kind of playing time that we thought he might have had in Arizona last year. He kind of went back into it um, toward the end of the season and made an end for himself in the playoffs, um, at least early on in the playoffs. Um, And he, I think with a full-time gig in that outfield in Arizona um, can get back to that, that prospect, that high prospect status that we we saw him, we followed him through the minors, um, and he can. He has the op- most opportunity to kind of jump up early on in the season. Now, as Nick Pollock says with pitchers, you could do the same thing with these hitters that you're picking too, where you're like, okay, I'm. It, you got to make a decision early on in the season. You want to be able to make a decision on these bench bats that you're kind of streaming through, just like you're streaming pitchers in a shallow league. You want to be able to stream your hitters as well until you can kind of find somebody who's working out for you, not only in a short-term period, but also maybe who's showing you something a little bit more of a swing change, somebody who's adapting and adjusting better than the guy maybe that you drafted. Um, and you want to be able to cycle through those in April and in May uh, until you can find you know, the Brent Rookers of the world who go on a tear for a two-month stretch. Um, and you got to be okay with when you see the adjustment going the other way to kind of drop into the curb and you know move on to the next thing um somebody else I think the
2: fact that they didn't re-sign or haven't really re-signed Tommy Pham mm-hmm. kind of bodes well to Alec Thomas that he's going to come and you know should have a position. He's the guy on this list also that you close your eyes and he's going to steal 25 bases.
0: <laughs> sure. Especially in Arizona who obviously they have other talent on there that they're willing to let you know? run around the bases.
2: So, and, and he's one of those guys that was a hot prospect that just hasn't made that leap yet. Mm-hmm. But I still think but because they didn't sign Tommy Pham that kind of speaks to that they have some confidence in him.
0: Mm -hmm. You'll be curious to see where Pham ends up signing as well. Um, He'll be somebody that if he signs in the right spot, obviously his ADP will jump right back up, especially after the season. Most of the season he was able to piece together last year, especially in the second half. Um,
2: There's one guy on this list, though, that if you look at Steamer, you like jumping up and down, and it's, it's Alejandro
0: Kirk. Well, let's get right into these guys that uh, these two hitters on the at the bottom of the list that actually went a little bit earlier in their December drafts compared to the November. One of those, Alejandro Kirk, as you mentioned, 27th round in November, 23rd round in December. And then Alex Verdugo going from the 29th round uh, up, up, depending on how you're looking at it, up to the 25th round Um, in December. Obviously, this came after the news that he was traded to the New York Yankees. Um, that clean-shaven Alex Verdugo. Always a weird sight to see that when a player ends up forced to do that. Where do we live? Are we living in a zoo? What's going on here, guys? Um, Let's change that. Uh, So, uh, Adam, let us you start that off. Obviously, you have thoughts on Kirk. Um, I'm curious to know in what direction, though.
2: You know, uh, this is where I use the projections when I look over a catcher because I'm trying to piece into the fact that You know, you have some phenomenal catchers up top, you know, with with Rutschman, who's a a top five round, you know, catcher. And then you look at some of the other catchers that are there. Steamer has him projected as the ninth best catcher. Where are you going to get that type of value where he's where he's projection projected out here, even in the 23rd round? The projections way better than a 23rd round pick. And he'll be your second catcher.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I'm curious to know what kind of uh, playing time the Blue Jays are going to give him. He's, you know, slotted in as basically the only catcher <laughs> on the on the roster, according to Roster Resource. Obviously, Dane Jane Jensen ended last season um, with an with injury. Um, they've got him down. I mean, Steamers got him down for 403 plate appearances. Uh, so they're giving him more than the bulk uh, of time behind the plate. Um, maybe he doesn't DH the way that uh, many might have thought. But at the same time, if he is able to get that kind of uh, volume, um, yeah, I totally see that.
2: Yeah, when you take a look at some of the other catchers that are behind him based on their projections, I mean, of course, I'd be jumping up in town with JT Riomuto. It's still at this stage of his game. Mm -hmm. But the rest of them, I mean, the only question mark you have there is... A guy like Yanir Diaz in Houston, does he jump up this year with regular playing time?
0: He does. <laughs> in my opinion, um, yeah, I mean I'm a big Diaz fan. I fell back, I so in my home dynasty league, I've got too many cat well, I have Adley Rutschman and Salvi Perez. So I'm like, I'm not looking at catcher position. And of course, last year, in a single catcher league, by the way. Um, and so I'm not looking at catcher, so I have you know, people talking to me and at the end of the year. I have a team that was at the bottom of the standings, and he's like talking about this catcher, that catcher. I'm like, listen, if you want to throw darts at the wall, go pick up Yenny or Diaz and just be happy. You know, thank me later. And he did. And, you know, he went off at the very end of the year. He got, you know, somewhat more playing time. And then, of course, the announcement's already been made that, you know, he's the everyday, you know, he's the starting catcher going into 2024 by Dusty Baker. And, or Diaz believers rejoice uh you know you feel like Dusty Baker's finally making a decision that you agree with um Kevin you're nodding your head at the earlier stages I'm assuming you feel very similarly about Diaz
1: yeah absolutely I had a similar situation single catcher home league 12 team league I had uh JT Real Muto and uh Somehow we have unlimited IL and a fairly big bench, so I had William Contreras as well. Mid season, I picked up Yanier Diaz just because, yeah, for nothing. (laughs) Uh, in our off season, we're just about to open up our our, uh, off season trading, but due to keeper prices and everything, I dropped Contreras and Rio Muto, and I'm more than happy rolling into the season with Yanier Diaz
0: off your free agent, Mark. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um all right, Alex Verdugo, the other one on here. Uh Kevin, uh 25th round a little too early or 29th round too late?
1: I well, I, I'm gonna default to the later one here again. I'm not a big Alex Verdugo guy. Uh I know outfield is thin, and by the time that's second to last round of an NFBC 12 team draft get him into the 29th round, yeah, that that's fine. I, I'm sure many teams in the league will have a worse fifth outfielder than Alex Verdugo. I'm just not big on him. Uh, of, of all the guys on this list of the, the the post 20th round, that we've talked about this multiple times already this offseason. I I really want to see where Whit Merrifield lands, right? It's 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 a volume play and even I I think a lot of people would be surprised to to see that Whit Merrifield had 596 plate appearances in 2023. If he's going to get anywhere close to that, it you know players we were talking about earlier double digit home runs, 20 plus stolen bases, 60 to 70 runs in RBI batting average that doesn't not only doesn't hurt you actually helps a little bit at least stabilize your batting average if not bring it up you're just not finding players like this at at this point in a draft so if you land somewhere where we're going to see that this playing time uh, close to 600 plate appearances with Merrifield's a gift at either of these positions all right
2: can you imagine if the Pirates signed him?
1: Oh, he would lead off and get 700 plate appearances, and I <laughs> would I would jump him to, <laughs> I am not exaggerating, 15th, 16th round. Is it, I, I, don't, I don't think that's crazy.
0: To be fair, I think uh, we didn't mention in the news, but I do remember seeing they did bring back Andrew McCutcheon. Um, so I'm wondering how much room they would have for somebody else that's just like him. to an extent
2: it's a perfect sign for them
0: Mm. yeah all right guys we got i'd love that two guys on here both pitchers we will lump them together kevin i'm going to start with you here so we can end with adam uh his thoughts michael waka of course we talked about earlier he signs as well with your royals uh he jumps up from the 25th to the 21st round Compared to November December drafts, and then Jamison Tyon goes from the twenty eighth round in November up to the twenty fifth round. Again, these guys are still being drafted in positions where more than likely they are a bench a bench pitcher, backup pitcher. Maybe Waka ends up in your top um, top of your rotation and in the twenty first round. Granted, uh, but at the same time. Uh, w- are either one of these guys – I mean, are you happy with any kind of upside that you might have seen out of Jameson Tyon um, in the second half of the season? Are you scared away from him or you're just avoiding him? Um, and then is the move to Kansas City for Waka worth the the jump, uh, four-round jump?
2: I love Waka. When he's sound, I think he's a, he's a solid, solid pitcher. Tyon, to me, I think there's reason – I mean, he got a – I don't know who – in Chicago thought that what they were getting to give him that type of money. I think he's a really, really average pitcher. I, I don't you is a guy that every two weeks he ends up on the waiver wire. You pick him up, you stream him, you pick him up, you stream him, that type of thing. But Waka, when he's healthy, if you close your eyes, he's gonna have between thirteen and
0: sixteen wins. Kevin, is he getting between thirteen and sixteen wins with the Royals next year?
1: American League Central champion. <laughs> well, excuse me, confused. I forgot. Yeah,
0: I, 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 yes, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to let him pitch. Well, that's right. for sure. I mean, I'm pretty I mean, much. They're w- going <laughs> to let him go
2: further in yeah.
0: game. I say wherever that's he gonna was going to go, they were going to let him pitch. Like that's the kind yeah. of contract he was going to get. That's the, you know the environment in which he was going to like. Somebody wasn't going to pick him. They weren't going to sign him as their number six. Like he was going to sign with the team like the Royals who had a number two three or four spot in their in their rotation that needs to be eaten up it's um, all about health with yeah. him
2: he's in the right ballpark
0: yeah definitely like Kevin like you said doesn't 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 hurt with uh with home runs and um you know so definitely worth the uh four round bump from a 25th round pick puts him on your bench 21st round pick puts him in your starting lineup and you're, you know, you're you're starting uh, nine spots. Uh, you both agree that that's a that's it's a warranted pick based on his signing. Then,
2: yep,
1: I believe so. I mean, I there's a lot of relievers starting to go by this point in NFBC uh, ADP, and I and by that I mean relievers that are not closers. This is where we see uh, Matt Brash. This is where we see. uh uh, some griffin canning who is this back to starting and i loved griffin canning a few years ago loved what we saw out of him in 2023 hopefully he can continue to make his way back and be the guy we thought he could be we're seeing hunter harvey here may or may not be the closer cutter Crawford you know about all the questions with him and and some upside as well being the Boston Red Sox fan I think in this range of the guys we see going Michael Walker is probably the safest now in that ballpark that he's landed in
0: you missed my only one hundred percent rostered player in Robert Stevenson. He's going a little bit later than than all those guys you listed, but had to throw out the shout out to Robert Stevenson as my one only single player in five drafts I've completed. The only guy I have on all five teams, even my gladiators. So um, here's crossing my fingers he ends up being one You're of got those him at
1: pick four hundred in a draft. That's amazing.
0: I was uh I was not upset with that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I mean, you know, he's the type of player that. You know, he's the ultimate like if he signs in the perfect spot, then, you know, he jumps up into the, you know. At least a second tier of closers, Um, if, you know, you have a little bit more confidence that he actually has a job just because his peripherals are not hurting. Like, he at least goes up to like where Tanner Scott's going, in my opinion, um, because he's Tanner Scott, basically just, you know, depending on what team and what role he ends up having. All right, guys, this was awesome. That's going to wrap it up for episode 143, though. Kevin, I'll let you lead us out here with any additional uh, words of wisdom.
1: Yeah, we talk talk about ADP a lot. We've referenced it a lot in this show. We've talked about it tons uh, over the last three seasons, Adam. It's a tool. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's for determining what the market is on players, and everybody in this industry makes those same comments and then you look at a draft and 360 players are drafted in a league and only 20 to 25 of them aren't ranked by ADP in the top 360 we say we don't follow ADP we say it's just a tool and we're kidding ourselves and i for one am trying to do a much better job at this tool only i i mean the fact that you only get 25 out of 360 players that aren't ranked in the top 360 drafted in a 360 player draft is ridiculous in my mind we are slaves to adp and we shouldn't be uh, no matter how much we talk about it and claim that we're not we are, and I am trying to make a concerted effort to not be. And this this goes at to uh, we 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 hear in March throw ADP out the window, right? Well, to an extent, yes, but it's typically still that same group of three hundred and sixty or four hundred and fifty players, depending on the size of the league. They're just shuffled around a little bit, um, and it it's. Yes, obviously. We even when you consider in your own mind, well, it, I can't draft Ronald Acuna Jr. and Julio Rodriguez in the in the same league. You're using ADP in your head, maybe not looking at it, but you just know it's not possible. It's, yes, it has its place, but but I I, I am of the opinion now, second round already second round the available player pool is everybody that's not been picked not who adp tells mm-hmm. me who has been going in the second round and i and it gets more so as the draft goes on i i think adp as much as we want to talk about it being a tool and it's not the end all be all it's not the way we draft
0: I, I'm going to tack on something here just because I found this interesting uh, in the last two drafts that I've done. Um, you've got to remember that, especially when you're in the draft room, the ADP is a consolidation of every format that that platform has concluded. So, of course, we're talking about NFBC because they've already done a ton of drafts. There's best balls, there's draft and holds, there are gladiators where that are only 23 rounds. And those are there's been a lot of them already. Those are impacting ADP more than any other format because you have players that are not being drafted there and their ADP goes way down because of the sample size. Um, and I, I
1: catchers going up because yeah, the they have to be drafted. So they have to be drafted. Three rounds.
0: Yep. yep. Um, yeah, earlier than you would normally see, see them being drafted on somebody's bench or in their reserve spots. Um, I'll use... My, Four out of five drafts that I've done, I have a whole a couple of players. One of them being Aurelvis Martinez, prospect for the Blue Jays. You know, shortstop slash third base slash second base, depending on where they end up putting him um, once he gets called up. Um, obviously, did not pick him in my Gladiator. I only did one Gladiator, but all my other leagues, they're Fab leagues. His ADP is like over six hundred. When you look, when you try to search for him, like I scroll down, like, hey, I like can't find him. I have to do the search. And he, he's all the way down at like 600 plus. I use that to my advantage because I like Earl Vince Martinez. I'm going to obviously have drafted him in all four of my fab leagues, um, but I don't want to have to draft him where I want to draft him or I'm willing to draft him because I don't have to. Because to your point, ADP is still a thing. <laughs> it's still a thing that people look at and they – uh, I know you said second round, but I'm saying at the very least – 15th, 20th round, like if you're still strictly going by ADP, you're 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 going to miss out, simple as that. I
1: I love auctions. One of the reasons I love auctions is starting pitching. I can draft four or five $15 starting pitchers, and I used to say you can't do that in a snake draft. Why not? You absolutely can. You just have to start taking them a little earlier (laughs) if those are the players you want. And if they're the players I want, why do I care what ADP says? So if I want to go hitter heavy early and then get those $15 pitchers, it means I have to start drafting guys with an eighth round ADP Uh in the fifth or sixth round and I'll get them. It's fine. I took four hitters in the first four rounds, right? Even in a 15-team league. You talked earlier about that's the way you draft 12-team leagues. You can even do it in a 15-team league. You just have to be willing to take the guys as early as it takes, not just to get that guy, but to get the others that you want as well. Yeah,
0: the next down the line. Sure. All right, great advice. Great things to live by. Uh, I'm going to shout it up back over to Adam. Adam, thank you so much. Adam Lazarus, of course, our coach champion.
2: Thanks a lot for letting me come in these listener leagues. I appreciate it very much.
0: Yeah. We got you in two. We'll see if we get you in any more moving forward, but at the very least, glad to have you in at least two out of, you know, question mark. We don't know how many we're going to end up with this year. Hopefully we at least hit the 10 that we had last year to make. We will have two overall champions next year since we're doing the 12s and the 15s. Uh, They're not linked. Uh, So it'd be nice to see how that works out. Um, Adam, do you, uh, have anything else? Do you have any, do you have any plans to do doing any other podcast tours or any other, or anything like that, that everybody should yeah, be looking I mean, this for? Is great. I, yeah. I,
2: you know, I'm not, this is, I don't, I'm not advertising anything. I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm following <laughs> you guys, you know, I mean, you guys are the guys I I listen to to try to get more information to educate myself. So
0: well, we appreciate
1: you know, I'm that. glad
2: to do
0: it.
1: Started the listener leagues, we, we tried to get, uh, Six listeners and then Mm -hmm. six content creators, including ourselves in each league. The overall champions uh, for the first two seasons have not been content creators.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we talked about earlier uh, off airs like we had Casey Bubba on as uh, right before the season ended because he was in. He had such a good lead in the overall and all of a sudden. Whether you know, whether it was his team falling down or Adam, yours moving up, but you ended up moving into the into the championship slot. And at the last second, I can't believe we didn't touch on this yet, but at the last second, I got a text from Yancey Eaton saying, Whoa, look at this. And because of the stats that were brought in from the postponed game, the Miami Mets game, that nobody was sure what was gonna happen if they were gonna play, you know, on that Tuesday or that Monday after the season ended, or if they were gonna finish the game or not. They decided to wipe out the ninth inning, end the game at the end of the eighth, and all those stats went in. It bumped him up like I think he was like a half or one full point below you. Did enough to bump him up, so you had to, you had to, you have to share with Yancy. Um, it was just a, it was an exciting time to kind of see in those last two weeks to kind of see. Looked like somebody was running away with it. Nope. And this is what can happen. And this is what happens in Roto. Like you said earlier, it is a grind. You can work your way back up, even in a short period of time at the very end. Yep. All right. As I alluded to earlier, that is going to do it for episode 143 of On The Wire. Thanks for listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 That's all spelled out. Kevin is at HastonKevin. Of course, follow the pod at OnTheWirePod and message us if you want to join any of our other listener leagues moving forward. I'd like to once again thank our guest Adam Lazarus for joining us this week. And after all that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Haston. Thanks for listening. And we bid you Goodbye.